scratching at my nose, but I don't know. I'm just, you're sitting here all by yourself for an hour, right? So you get perfect scratched. way to start off the show because I click live while Cole yeah, was talking about or something. But welcome, <laughs> I'm your host Matt Freak, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOT, and joined especially for the pay-per-view episodes by my Canadian brethren, Cody. You guys can follow him at CJ Staftik on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for the big UFC 266 card going down this weekend, headlined by two title fights and the return of Nick Diaz in a five-round 185-pound belt against Robbie Lawler. Cody, it literally feels like forever since I've seen you because the last pay-per-view we did was the beginning of August, and then they give us the last weekend of September now for the next pay-per-view. So I haven't seen you in almost six six-ish weeks five six weeks cody what the fuck has been going on dude give us a i know man of an dude when we agreed to do this whole thing you were just like how about you come on for pay-per-views we'll do the big shows i'm like that's an honor because john's got to come on and grind for them little cards and you know at least lets me come on for the pay-per-views but i happened to be able to do it and i didn't quite realize that it was like seven weeks between pay-per-views so does feel like a long time and I, I miss this man i miss talking about props in specific i miss talking fights with you and uh, yeah, I just couldn't be happier to come back. Coming back to a huge UFC 266 card as well. I know you had planned to be in Las Vegas, which, uh, yeah, I don't fault you for not going down, but uh, you, you've already seen Nick Diaz, right? So there, at least at least you, we, you were that uh, DSGSP? Anyways, I doesn't matter, right? I was not right? at DSGSP, but I've oh, met okay, Nick Diaz, okay. which is good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this version of Nick Diaz, you know what? Sometimes it's better to not uh, to not watch, to like go down like that. I remember Paul Shaughnessy watched uh, Uriah Faber, BJ Penn 3. It was Las Vegas uh, during fight week. And he was like, man, I got to see BJ Penn. And then when he came home, I was like, you saw BJ Penn? He's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> He's like, that, that, <laughs> that's that not wasn't BJ. BJ. That's not BJ Penn. So maybe it's better to uh, see him go on a high note anyhow. But I'm sure. super excited to be here and talk about the fights. Absolutely. Yeah, I was supposed to be in Vegas. I ended up getting a last-minute seller who wanted to get the ticket off me. And the thing is, I, I bought my 266 ticket before I went to the Apex experience last month. And once I did the Apex experience, I'm like, I got to do this shit again. There's no, I've done 20 UFC events and arenas. I don't, I don't care to do it again. I don't care how big the card is. And I don't care how shit an Apex card is. That experience is done like any other. It's like being in a, in a fight club of some sort where you have like less than 100 people in the fucking vicinity. And it's just awesome. The seats were amazing. And I need to do it again. So I sold the ticket, going to put that money towards another Apex experience, and I will be back in Vegas by the end of December. So uh literally happened five hours before I was supposed to head to the airport. Somebody hit me up and they're like, I'll buy you a ticket. I'm like, all right, let's fucking go. <laughs> I'm down to do that. My my boy Manpre loves four or five fight cards so bad. He actually went to a BTC bank <laughs> like a couple of weeks after, man. I'll what tell you this, Cody. Cody, I'll tell you this. They, yeah. they dragged it out a little bit too much for my liking. So right. I left after the third fight. It was oh, it was man. literally all four fights finished by rear naked choke because that's usually the easiest way to get your opponent out of there. And that definitely lets you know that most of these were just pro debut guys and a lot of setup fights as well. I'm sure you're familiar with some of these guys from the amateur scene as well, but it was all right. You know, the setup was great. Don't get me wrong. The setup was great. But as the matchmaker, our shout out to our guy, Rob Vivers, I know he had a lot of issues in terms of putting that card together. So really shitty in terms of that. But hopefully I'll be back out there for their November 20th card where they're supposed to have uh, a ton of good guys on there. Hopefully I see your ass out there as well down there. I think it's going to be in St. Catharines. So that should be good as well. But 
we are here talking about UFC 266. Let's not get too far off the tracks here because these guys are like, what the fuck is BTC? What the fuck is St. Catharines? They just want to hear about Nick Diaz and Robbie Lara. So let's just start off at the bottom of the card here, man. Let's not waste too much time. First and foremost, we got Omar Morales going up against uh, Jonathan J.S.P. Pierce, which uh, a nickname I'll always resent. Uh, minus 160 on Morales, plus 140 on uh, Pierce. Uh, I'm, I think this is another prime spot for Morales to go out there and do what Morales does, right? Go out there, hard-nosed striking, stay in his opponent's face really just let his muay thai go and really uh cause uh, uh issues for his opponents for me i think jonathan pierce needs to get his grappling going to find success in this fight otherwise he's just going to be eating shots pretty much the majority of this fight i will say this morales as much of a, a great striker as he is he doesn't really have much like finishing ability right a lot of his wins are coming via decision and i think that jonathan pierce is durable enough to, to go the full 50 minutes now people might be like hey manpreet you didn't see the Joe Lozon fight two, two, two fights ago? <laughs> you don't think that Jonathan Pierce is going to get starched by Omar Morales here? Let's cut the kid a little bit of slack, right? UFC debut in the hometown of uh, fucking Joe Lozon in Boston, having the crowd against you and all that type of stuff. Um not a good look, you know, not, not a good situation to be in to go up against a legend like that, albeit Joe Lowe's on way over the hill at that point in time, but still a very tough ass to do for a UFC debutant. Uh, but I do think that we'll see Morales stick it out there, really um. Put the put the jab in his face and just get that striking going. The the prop that I like here is that uh, Morales via decision prop, uh, which currently sits at um, plus one sixty five. Not too bad of a plus number considering the type of style that Morales really usually brings to the cage here. Uh, am I being uh, am, am I giving JSP a little bit too much slack here? Like, do you think that Omar Morales could actually beat it or finish him, or are you actually picking Pierce here? Do you think that Pierce can pull off the upset? Yeah, well, luckily for us, right, in the straight-up preview show, you got to make one of these picks, and I, I think I am going to go with Pierce, but we can attack this from a prop angle, and that's what I'm looking to do exactly here. You mentioned with Omar Morales, when he came to the UFC, he was a finishing machine. He actually knocked out Harvey Park, the LFA champion, on his contender series bout, jumps into the UFC to big fanfare, and like, oh, this guy's heavy-handed, but you're right, four fights in the UFC so far, and even though you can tell he is a power striker, it's not necessarily translating into finishes. So most notably the Dung Young Ma fight, he drops Dung Young Ma. Dung Young Ma had been knocked out by every other opponent he lost to in the UFC. But yet that's another fight that goes 15 minutes. Gabriel Benitez fight. I thought he fought an excellent fight, right? Still lands under 70 significant strikes. The Giga Chikots fight. We'll give him a pass there because Giga just turned out to be an absolute animal, right? And then even the Shane Young fight. Again, it's a very good, strong performance from him. What I'm struggling with is that he tends to have a little bit low on the output side of things, right? He again is under 70 significant strikes. When you look at Jonathan Pierce, again, it's lower level opposition, but his fight with Jacob Rizal is on contender series, 142 significant strikes and the four takedowns. The fight with Kate Kamaka the last time out, 51 significant strikes and five takedowns through not even two rounds, right? They hadn't even completed two rounds at that point. So he's got a lot more volume. He's going to be probably, I know you're saying Morales will be in his face. I almost feel like it'll be Pierce being the one moving forward, trying to dictate the action, try to dictate the flow and just try to overwhelm him with striking numbers. Whereas Morales is going to look for that low calf kick, try to slow this kid down, try to line him up with the big right hand, and use some counter-wrestling. Morales at 55 against a wrestler, I would say this guy's going to drag him to the ground. Morales at 45, this is a big, strong Venezuelan. And he is actually low-key a BJJ black belt. Who would have thunk it? You saw him use his grappling a little bit more against Shane Young in his last time out. Prior to that, you haven't seen hardly any of you. I think he has one win by rear naked choke on the regional scene. So how do I see this one shaken up? Well, Morales, four fights in the UFC, all four of them by decision. Talented striker. Pierce, meanwhile, is going to look to overwhelm Morales, but Giga dropped this guy twice, and Morales still saw the end of the buzzer, right? 
I'm thinking, just like you're thinking, probably go to decision, but I'm going to key on on that over two and a half. I believe it's minus 165 is the over two and a half. Uh, I accidentally marked it down as one and a half, so I just want to confirm. Yeah, the one and a half over is three. Okay. Yeah, so the over two and a half is minus 160, depending on what your book is, minus 170 in some spots, minus 163, whatever. It doesn't matter what your book is. I'm thinking it's at over two and a half. If we do see a late finish here, I think Morales either chews up his leg, has him as a stationary opponent, hits him with something later on the fight, or Pierce just like the K Kamaka fight. I was on Pierce in that fight. Unfortunately, I had Pierce by decision, and he just overwhelmed him. There was nothing Kai could do. And Kai is very much one of these strong stationary boxers that in many ways represents a lot of the same threats as Omar. I just think Omar is a more advanced version of that. So I would actually take the dog in this spot. Uh, I, it's not the most confident play, but we're not here to talk about the confidence level in that. It's the specific prop. In either side, whoever wins this fight, I think there still is a good chance to hit that over two and a half. Not fight goes a distance, over two and a half, just so that it saves you from a potential late finish. I like it. Shout out to Hot Hands who was saying fight starts round three prop, which is roughly around yeah. minus 195. So you save a little bit right there for in terms of time, uh, but you have to eat a little bit of the extra juice there. But I like it. I do see this fight going to decision. I'm on the favorite. Cody's on the dog. Uh, but that over two and a half should be some money here, regardless who ends up winning this fight. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Matt Semmelsberger welcoming four, two, and one Martin Sano. Uh, probably Nick Diaz's best friend of what it looks like, at least what we've been seeing on the IG over the last five or six years. Um, I, I always seen him in the background of Nick Diaz's like it's social media stuff. Always wondered who this guy was and then eventually found out that he was a fighter himself. Uh, has a win over Jeff Neal way back in 2013, albeit eight years ago. Um, so we definitely know this version of Jeff Neal probably starts as this version of Martin Santa. We can definitely say that. But he hasn't seen the cage since 2017. Funny enough, Mark, Matt Semmelsberger actually made his uh, pro debut two months after the last time Martin, Martin Santa actually stepped inside the cage. So uh, And since then, obviously, accrued an 8-3 and three record. 2-1 uh, and one now, I believe, inside the UFC. Um, but... Uh, I do think that it, it's pretty much a one-sided fight here, right? I think that Sano is a bit of a brawler, has some BJJ in his back pocket, but I truly think that this is more of a early KO or bust situation for Martin Sano. Uh, we know he really is only in the UFC because of Nick Diaz, right? Uh, Nate Diaz did it for Chris Avila. Connor did it for Artem. Uh, what was the other one? Anderson Silva did it for Mariano Marais. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right? The, that, there's that all these guys. Hilarious. Exactly. Yeah. Now, Martin Sano is the one. But it's pretty much an easy pick and just fight here for uh, Matthew Semmelsberger, in my opinion, in terms of how it's going to go down. I think Sano is kind of durable, but I think that Semmelsberger hits with so much fucking power that I do think that he'll eventually find that knockout on Sano here. Again, it's going to be tough for a guy coming off a three-and-a-half-year layoff to go in there and get back into live action, especially against a guy who's who pretty much wants to make this his life, right? Sano is down to be Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz's fucking side chick <laughs> or whatever the hell it is uh, on the side. They're trying to, or being his wingman in the clubs and stuff. He doesn't really want to do or, or become a UFC champion or anything like that. Um, so in terms of uh, props, Samuels Burger by KO minus 135 is kind of what I like. Obviously you want to turn that minus 470 into something a little bit better. Uh, I do think he'll find that knockout here against Sano. Am I not giving enough credence to Sano here or do you share the same thoughts as yeah, it'd be cool to see Sano on the Contender Series. It'd be cool to see Sano pick up his first win in Bellator, where he's 0-1-1 currently. Uh, but yeah, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And in this case, yeah. he knows Nick Diaz. And you mentioned it. Uh, Nate did it for Chris Avila. Anderson Silva did it for Marcos Mariano. 
Conor McGregor did it for SBG Ireland. Sometimes you shouldn't be there. <laughs> I love but how you, you say know. the whole team. Holy fuck! Have Charlie you seen Ward, the team? Arthur Lobov, Pendry, Ashling Daly, Patty Callahan. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Chris good point. Good point. This close to getting what? Was I tough? I know. I know. They're great regional scene guys. Some of the best guys in Cage Warriors in Europe. Unfortunately, you know, it doesn't quite translate, but you know somebody. In this case, yeah, he's coming. I think you nailed everything. He's coming off a three-and-a-half-year-long layoff against Diego Herzog. Uh, the last time he saw action, three-and-a-half years ago. Last time he saw action, it was a draw against limited opposition for Bellator. The Dom Muhammad fight, you know, knocked out in the first round. N none of this bodes well, even the Dominic Juarez fight. However, it's been, it's been talked about enough. Let's just talk about one thing that seems to be flying under the radar. We gotta watch this guy in the scales. I don't even think he's gonna make the weight. So oh, when you yeah. look, well, when you look at it, dude. So he beats. You mentioned he beat Jeff Neal, right? So Jeff Neal came into welterweight fight. He comes in at one seventy six. They told Jeff Neal he's coming in a little heavy. So Neal makes one seventy two, and you've got uh, you've got Masano at one seventy six. His next fight against Billy Colon is at one eighty five. His next fight against Clint Roberts, he misses weight. He comes in at one seventy two point six for a welterweight fight. The Dom Waters fight, World Series of Fighting, catch weight of 175, in which he comes in at 176. His fight with Dom Muhammad in Bellator, he makes 171. Of course, that's five years ago. Only time he's made welterweight. And then Diego Herzog's another fight at middleweight. So similar to Diaz, he probably thinks he can make one, the weight because he made it once upon a time. But now he's realizing as he's getting in the sauna and as it's fight week, shit, man, I can't make this weight. I'm not saying Sano's going to miss. I'm saying Sano's... I don't. I, I think it's going to be one hell of a weight cut. And whereas Nick Diaz can be like, "Hey man, can we just move this up a weight class?" Yeah. And they'll say, "Yeah." I don't think this guy's got the same power, right? No. So, so he's going to cut his leg off to make the weight. He yeah. should be zapped, and Semmelsberger should put him on him. You're probably seeing the same thing I'm seeing for best fight odds. They haven't. They don't have an over one and a yeah. half. They don't have it's, an over two and a half. It's not set yet. And so honestly, like until I see a little bit more, and until I see the weight, is the only thing I marked in. And, and then this is a crapshoot, was the Semisberger by decision is plus 450, right? And the only reason I put that down is, yeah, this guy is a grappler. His jiu-jitsu is pretty good, BJJ black belt. And he's not a great wrestler. He's not a great striker. But if he is coming down from middleweight and he is a little bit of a stronger guy, it's possible that he's able to press the action up against the cage, slow Semmelsberger down ever so slightly. And where Semmelsberger beat the crap out of Carlton Minus, but still settles with the decision victory, I could see him just beating this guy, this guy trying to play off his back, this guy trying to tie him up, use jiu-jitsu, just to stall some of the action. And at plus 450, only thing I marked down. But again, total total shot in the dark. I'd rather see what the totals are in the fight and then go from there. And of course, see the weigh-ins. I do want to get your thoughts on this. Shout out to CoolBet. CoolBet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2. The master initial was up to 200 bucks. I was uh, smooth. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, they do have the total set at one and a half with the over being plus 100, under being minus 123. What's your thoughts on that? I take the over. It's even money. I take the over on that. I don't think Semmelsberger, even though he's a five to one favorite, I don't think he goes out there and just absolutely bum rushes him. And then the Chaos Williams fight, you saw he did respect Chaos Williams' power, so he's hesitant and then started building up the longer the fight going, started to take over. So as far as a one and a half round goes, I would assume Sano is one of these guys that's good in the gym, right? And Diaz is not going to go put his neck on the line and say, hey, you know, bring this guy in and this and that without a little bit of durability. Chris Avila was no good. He was one dimensional with his jiu-jitsu, no, no wrestling. No striking, but yet he lost both of his fights in the UFC to Artem Lobov and Claudio Puelas, both of them by decision, right? So I think this guy could at least bank off a one and a half round, pending on what he shows up on the scale. And if he's got the towel out or if he comes in at 173, don't be surprised.
yeah, I, I, I definitely keep my eyes out for that. I did not even bother, honestly, looking into it that much in terms of the weight, but good catch from you uh, there as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got another Nick Diaz Army uh, veteran, if you want to call it. Uh, Nick Maximov making his UFC debut, going up against short notice Cody Brundage, who's stepping in for Carl Roberson. Seems like Roberson's absolutely destroyed his body in terms of weight cuts. At least that's what he's calling it. Uh, they pulled him out a little bit early, and uh, in steps Cody Brundage here. In terms of odds, we're obviously looking looking at minus uh, 155 for Maximov, who actually opened up at minus 350 on bet online, got quickly bet down, and uh, now the return on Cody Brunch is, is around plus 125. This is another fight, just like Martin Sano, Matthew Summersberger, where there aren't too many props for us to truly go off of. We only have over under one and a half, over under two and a half, and the fight doesn't go to decision, but I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this fight. So in terms of how I'm going to quickly break it down, pretty much two grapplers going up against each other, right? I feel like Maximov is a little bit more well-rounded in the grapple or the jiu-jitsu aspect of it, and Brundage is a little bit more on the wrestling side here. I do think that given the short notice nature of this fight for Brundage, I don't know if he's going to be truly ready to go a full 15 minutes and a hard 15 minutes, especially if he's going to go out there and try to use his grappling or wrestling advantage that he should have in this fight. It's going to be tough for him to really control a guy like Maximov on the ground, which is why I believe that he might gas the longer that this fight goes. I do want to shout out the people that were able to get in early on Brundage around that plus 200, plus 180 mark. But now where the line is, I think it's a little bit more accurate. I am leaning on the Maximov side. I do think that he withstands that early wrestling onslaught and then eventually gets a late finish in this fight. But it's tough to truly see what kind of skill this guy has considering he's pretty much been can crushing on the regional scene. And Cody Brundage, you know, albeit on short notice, is probably going to be his toughest test in the cage to this point. Uh, UFC debut for both guys. Um, but I feel like Maximov might be able to use that that uh, the UFC jitters a little bit better than a guy like Cody Brundage is going to be able to. I do lean on the Maximov side. I do lean in by submission. Again, no props out here. Uh, would get a little bit sketchy with the over-unders, considering I do expect the finish to come in the third round. So I'd rather take the fight doesn't go to decision, which is currently plus 110 on one of these websites. Um, but again, tough fight for me to truly break down. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, no, I, it all depends on what your book is because you're probably seeing the same thing. This fight goes yeah, the minus 170 on one, plus 110 on the other, right? Right, yeah. so that's a big fluctuation right there. And as far as fight doesn't go the distance at plus 110, well, that's the exact mark I took down. I think if Maximov is legit, then Brunridge is probably going to tire. Maximov is going to be able to capitalize. And if Maximov is not legit, Brunridge is one of these guys that comes at you, right? But, but you make a mention that he's he, Cody Brunridge on short notice, and that's why we're expecting him to gas. I am expecting him to gas, but it's important to note he's not in on short notice. He was supposed to fight Dana White's contender series in 10 days from now. Uh, yes, correct. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and whereas some people would say, well, it's a short notice replacement because Brunridge obviously didn't know he was fighting Maximov. Maximov didn't know he was fighting Brunridge, right? So it's kind of a short notice spot for both guys in some sense. And yeah, interesting for sure. The Carl Robeson fight, Carl is a much better striker than Maximov. And Maximov is likely much better on the ground. So it's a classic striker versus grappler situation. And Maximov wrestled in junior college. Uh, if he gets these, this fight to the ground, it's probably going to be in his domain. Against Brunridge, ugh, Brunridge wrestled in college as well. In fact, wrestled at a higher level. And when you see him in his fights, he's more of one of these powerhouse guys, better wrestling technique. The problem is that he muscles a lot of his technique. And as a result, he gets tired. When you see him in the regional scene, I mean, he's just running through these guys until he gets his own contender series fight against William Knight comes in as a minus 160 favorite. And I remember I, I, I backed him in that spot. I backed him because he had the credible wrestling. He was an undefeated prospect. Him and his wife, Amanda Bobby Cooper, who's a UFC veteran, had moved from Michigan over to Factory X Muay Thai. He seemed to be in really good shape. He seems to be improving. And against William Knight, you know, where's William Knight good? You know, I guess, <laughs> I guess he's capable of knocking out anybody, right? He's thick yeah. willy, thick willy for a reason. But 
you know, he's kind of a generalist and not particularly great in one area. So I thought Brunridge would have success with the wrestling early on. Brunridge takes him down. This is no problem. Problem is, is two minutes into the first round, he is cooked. He's gassed. And Thick Willie takes over. He does have a rebound fight where he got a third round submission for LFA's. Cardio did look to improve in that one. But again, when you're in the bright lights and Dana White's sitting cage side, and in this case, they're in the T-Mobile arena, it's going to be a live crowd. People are, are excited. It is the early undercard, and you know how it is in Las Vegas. It's not like it's going to be completely packed up. But comparatively to what you've been fighting in front of, it's going to be a loud crowd, right? And Nick Maximov, he's one of Nick Diaz's guys. You could see that the crowd might be in his favor. All I'm saying is I expect that even Brunridge with a full camp, Brunridge improving on his cardio, I think he's going to get tired at some point. And when he does, it's up to Nick Maximov to capitalize and get the submission. I don't think Maximov is a very good striker. If Brunridge comes out here and sprawl and brawls him, that would be his path to victory. My, my concern is that he sprawl and brawls him for a round and a half, maybe two rounds, eventually starts to get tired, and then Maximov gets his thing to the ground secures the back, gets a rear naked choke, arm triangle, arm, just whatever. You know, I think he's only a brown belt still. He may have recently got promoted to black belt, but he's got a lot of competition experience. He was getting ready to try for the ADCC North American trials. His grappling should be on point for this fight. So I'll go with the Nick Maximov side of things, but Nick Maximov's what, currently minus 170. So the, you're, minus I think, yeah, and I would feel much better with having a Maximov Brunridge fight doesn't go the distance ticket at plus 110. Even though I'm a decision better, this one, to, <laughs> this one screams to me like someone's getting caught at some point. I like it. I like it. I'm glad that we're on the topic of fights getting finished because this next fight, I'm pretty certain that we're going to see a finish in this fight between Earl Schmedic and Jalen Turner. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 125 for Medic and plus 105 for Jalen Turner. I really like the fight. doesn't go to decision here around that minus 160, minus 200 mark. I think both guys obviously bring a lot to the table in terms of finishing abilities. Medic, you know, longest fight he's ever been in, five minutes and 51 seconds, 51 seconds into that second round. But things get a little bit fishy for him, especially when the fight gets taken to the ground and it looks like his cardio is uh, uh you know a little sketchy and then even his ground game a little bit more sketchy if this fight does hit the ground and we see a similar rose manage as we did earlier i think Jalen turner cuts to him like butter i think he's very good on the ground i think he should be able to have a complete dominance on top and eventually open up a submission or a tko for himself eros medic we do have to you know give him some credit in terms of what he's good at good striker good power but again it's against cans in alaska fc i did back alan uh alan cruz last time around and look like a complete dumbass doing so but I, I am not a believer of Uros Medic. uh he will be able to beat guys like alan cruz obviously in hindsight but i don't think that jalen turner is that guy that he's going to be able to beat sure he could start some early here okay i'd be fine with that which is why i'm happy with taking the fight doesn't go to decision here but i do like jalen turner uh possibly in the second round but the prop that really sticks out to me is the sub prop plus 800 for jalen turner to lock up a submission in this spot and i think that could be live um you know, I, I know Medich obviously training over there at Kings MMA, obviously rolling with Benio Dariush on a day-to-day basis, but you and me both know, like, just because you're with a guy for a year or a year and a half, you're not going to get to that level of BJJ and that amount of time, especially with Jalen Turner, who's been, you know, grinding the mats for as long as he has. I think he's going to have the advantage on the ground, and I think his striking is serviceable enough that he should be able to stay out of too much danger from Eros Medich on the feet, and then I think he eventually drags his fight to the ground and gets that submission in the second round. But uh, I wish the widely available total was under 2.5, which would obviously be a decent line as well, considering the fight doesn't go to decision is between minus 160 and minus 200, depending on the places that you're looking at, minus 190 on cool bet. Uh, but I like that number, man. I, I truly like that number. I think we're going to see a finish in this fight, and I'm going to side with the Turner side of things uh, and take him by second round sub. Again, sub prop plus 800. Got to sprinkle a little bit of that. How are you feeling about this fight? 
Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up Kings MMA and training alongside Benil Dariush because I was fooled on Tuesday with that Nikolai Vretnikov. It doesn't matter <laughs> where you're training, who you're training with. Yeah, right? fucking Vretnikov fucks and parlays for me too. <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck, man? He had a good yeah. first round, and then you know what happened? He tired. That's what happened. Is he tired? Yeah. Was he skilled? Looked skilled. Regional show in LFA was like, whoa, this guy's got knees to the body all day, three, four rounds. And then in front of Dana White, in his biggest spot of his career, he gassed out after one singular round. Won the round, gassed out, lost two and three, loses the fight. And yeah, with Euros, it's the same thing. He's never fought longer than six and a half minutes in a fight. Large majority of his career has been Alaska FC against lower level competition where he just smashes through them. And then on Contender Series, he does get a lower level opponent, first round knockout. Against Elon Cruz, thankfully I was on the right side of that, but I, I think Elon Cruz has proven to be a limited guy, you know? Great output, but if you clip him early, you're going to put him away. Full durability. Yeah, Euros is one of these guys that's going to come in and swing in. Can he make improvements? Certainly he can make improvements. But, uh, yeah, it's up to – we really got to see them in there. In a sense, in a sense, and I got burned like this a few times, but Randy Costa. Randy Costa came to the UFC, and, like, the guys he had fought, abysmal. So right off the hop, I'm looking to fade this guy. But he comes at you 100% and then gasses. He either puts you away early or he gasses. The thing is, is I think Randy Costa is actually going to develop into a good prospect. Like once he figures out how to either uh, pace himself a little bit better or fight two and a half rounds, two rounds, you know, maybe secure. I don't know. Even if he fights two rounds, he's going to get finished in the third. The guy <laughs> figures it out, the conditioning, right? And the pacing, he's got a lot of skill. With Euros, he's got power, right? I don't know that I necessarily see the skill quite yet. Now he's done a great job of going out to California and seeking out some of the best coaches and training partners available. That's all good stuff. But I, I gotta see it. I gotta see it in real time first and foremost. And with Jalen Turner, yeah, I haven't necessarily been disappointed in what I've seen out of him. Losses in the UFC, he takes a Vincente Luque fight on short notice. Like, oh, the kid's got balls. <laughs> I give him that, right? We'll see yeah. about the skill later on. But at least he's got cojones. Beats Kalen Potter, and you do what you got to do against Kalen Potter, right? He's a low-level guy, right? No one's gonna respect all that much. If you lose to him, it's bad news. You got to go out there and blow him out of the water, and he does. It looks great against him. The next loss is Matt Frivola. That's a tough out. You know, the steamroller trains with Aljamain Sterling, Rob Devashvili. You know, he's a grinder himself. Great jiu-jitsu. Heart for days. Solid enough chin. Well, I mean, solid enough chin. He has been clipped a few times. Yeah. All the same, it's like, I can give you a pass on that level of opposition, but when they drop him down to the Josh Kulabaus and the Brock Weavers, he's looking really good. He's smoking right through them. You want to talk about volume, the fight with Kulabau, he lands 55 through 8 minutes. 55 significant strikes landed through through eight minutes. That's great output, and he puts them away. This this uh, Brock Weaver fight, he lands 66 significant strikes, two knockdowns and a takedown, and a submission attempt, all within nine minutes of the fight, two rounds, right? The volume is there. He comes into this spot with a four-and-a-half reach advantage, and whereas that might not be all that effective in the apex, this is Team Mobile. He's going to have that extra space in the octagon to utilize that reach. He's also got the, under, the underrated submission game. So to be honest with you, I couldn't figure out, do I want Jalen Turner by knockout or by submission? I think he could get either one. It's going to be predicated on taking Euros out of the first round, putting a pace on him, and then either one should open them up. So I ended up just going with the inside the distance. So I got Jalen Turner inside the distance plus 270. And of course, like you said, fight doesn't go the distance. Should cover you on either side. Because Turner has been knocked out three times himself. Yes. In fact, one time he got knocked out in 11 seconds. That was like five, six years ago. So... So hopefully that's uh, not a you know and not a concern. Hopefully that's not a concern of ours. Fight does doesn't go the distance covered on either side because Turner's the pick, and we don't see the fight going the distance.
Turner inside the distance, plus 270. Seemed like a very generous price. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised it's actually that high, <clears throat> especially considering that I'm going to be on the Turner side here. I truly think that Turner is probably one of the better guys out there with the 10 and 5 record, right? Probably top three with that type of record. I, I don't think his record reflects what kind of talent this guy actually has. And again, getting better on a fight-to-fight basis, but he should be able to go go out there and pass his test in Urosh Medic. And I truly think that this is one of those fights where like hype is intersecting intersecting with skill. And I think the hype of Urosh Medic is actually going to, you know, falter to the skill that uh, Jalen Turner is going to bring to the table. Hopefully his durability holds up so that he can eventually get this finished in the second round. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Roxanne Modafari going up against 17-1, and Tyler Santos. In terms of odds, obviously heavy chalk on the Santos side, minus 420, and plus 335 on Roxanne Modafari. I do like what we see from uh, Santos. Obviously, she goes out there in 30-26s, her last two opponents, before she went out there and actually lost her UFC debut and stumbled out of the gate against Mara Romero Barella. Saw a ton of people going out there uh, trying to... Uh, back Molly McCann as a favorite against a girl like this. And I was, I feel like I was one of the few people that was actually on Tyler Santos that night. Great striking, improving in her grappling realm. Uh, obviously, another Astro Fight Team product. So you got to be a little bit skeptical of what she was able to put together on the regional scene. But she's obviously showcased that she's a pretty good talent in her last two fights. This Roxanne Modafari fight is more so going to test her takedown defense, right? We know that Modafari is never going to come out with slick striking. It's always going to be robotic. It's always going to look ugly, but she always uses it to push forward and try to get that clinch going and try to drag your opponents to the ground. I think we'll see good movement from Santos. I think we'll see good crisp shots down the middle that should keep Modafari on the outside. <clears throat> and I think the longer that this fight goes, it's going to be more difficult for Modafari to actually get a clinch going or even get this fight to the ground. If it does end up on the ground, I don't think that Santos is going to be a fish out of the water. You know what I mean? I think that she will be able to get back to her feet. I do think she'll be able to dish out that damage and get that round back, even if she ends up getting giving up a takedown. But I do like Santos here. Uh, the best way to play her, in my opinion, though, is decision, right? Say what you want about Roxanne Modafferi. She's durable as fuck. She can take a beating. Uh, we saw it in the Viviani Orujo fight, and I think it's going to play out similar to that fight where, you know, Modafferi might have a little bit of success, but it will ultimately be the damage and the output of her opponent that's going to give uh, Taylor Santos the win. So best way to approach her, in my opinion, Take uh, Tyler Santos by decision, which is currently sitting at minus 130, minus 125, depending on what book you're looking at. So I got Santos decision. How do you feel this one is going to go down, brother? Yeah, I, honestly, I think it plays out just like you said. I think it plays out similar to the Viviana Royo fight, where Viviana is a real problem for two rounds, and then she tends to gas out a little bit. And I can say the same thing from Taylor Santos. She dominates two of these rounds, and then even if she starts to tire out a little bit, this thing's going the distance. So if you look at this straight up for fight goes the distance, it's minus 250. It's not a great price tag, but yet you mentioned it. Roxanne Montefiore hasn't been finished in a professional fight in 10 years. Flip side to that, when she wins fights, she's generally grinding these opponents to the ground now. I just don't think she has the offensive wrestling or the judo technique to take down Taylor Santos, who's going to be strong at least early in this fight. As far as the striking goes, Roxy's improved her striking game, but you can just see she's a non-athlete. Her footwork's not very good. Everything's very predictable. Everything's very herky-jerky. I mean, once Taylor Santos gains the timing on her, she should be able to chew up that lead leg with the leg kicks, chew her up with her technical boxing advantage, and uh, just win these striking exchanges. You also do see that Roxanne Montefiore is a problem on the ground, but she does her best work from top control. When she's on top of you, she's just a smothering game. She gives you no space to work with, and all of a sudden you think, oh my god, this nerdy Dragon Ball Z girl who showed up to weigh-ins dressed in anime is super heavy. Like, she's got heavy, heavy hips when she's on top. Off her back, meanwhile, she's got no takedown defense. So you can toss her to the ground, 
land a few shots, let her back up. It all looks good for the judges. I got to say, I think Taylor Santos is going to win. First and foremost, fight goes the distance, minus 250. And then second of all, I'm going to go Taylor Santos by decision at minus 150. I like it. I like it. I love it. Shout out to the Dragon Ball Z reference there by you. Who doesn't like Dragon Ball Z, right? <laughs> I just restarted playing a, playing a Dragon Ball Z game that just recently came out just to itch that nostalgia that I had. When I was a kid, uh, my mom was like, can't buy you PS2. But she'd have like these air miles, right? And so she figured out you could buy a PS2 with air miles. So she bought PS2 and was like, I, I could I afford buy you one game, whatever game you want. And I picked this Dragon Ball Z. It was just basically like, uh, a fight, I'm like one on one kind of thing. Yeah, so I'd be like, like Mortal dope. Kombat type of shit. Yeah, just like Mortal Kombat, right? And Budokai. I think it was Dragon Ball Z Budokai. Yeah, yeah, Anyways. yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, it was sweet. It was sweet. So some of the best. And of course, you watch the show when you were a kid. I uh, spent four, three or four weeks of my life when I was a child <laughs> just do, strictly devoted to watching Goku sum up some power for that spirit bomb. <laughs> that shit went on all summer, <laughs> right? The dedication. So. I appreciate that, Roxanne. Yeah, and I'll admit, Roxanne's one of these fighters who's like abysmal. But when she gets in there, she just starts gaining the energy because the fans will it to happen, yeah. right? Every time she cashes a ticket, she's plus 250, plus 200, plus 350 over Macy Barber. It's like, good God, how does this keep happening? Why? Because the will of the universe wants the happy warrior, Roxanne Modafferi, to go on and have success. It's dope. It's dope. Hopefully it don't happen on Saturday, but otherwise I love watching it happen. I will quickly reference, so if you are still a gamer and you still want to itch that Dragon Ball Z itch, uh, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, great game, open world, goes through the story from beginning to end. You play through it all. Fucking amazing, in case you guys are interested. All right, let's get yeah. this fucking thing moving along. We got uh, Shamil Abdurahimov going up against Chris Dawkins. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 200 for Dawkins, plus 174 uh abdurahimov pretty binary fight to break down here right Dawkins wants to keep this on the feet let his hands go let his pinpoint accuracy boxing go try to find that chin of shamil and put him down shamil wants to drag this fight to the ground and try to grapple fuck and possibly find a submission or a ground pound tko over Dawkins. however 40 years old shamil abdurahimov two and a half years off shamil abdurahimov or two years off for shamil abdurahimov five or six canceled fights in between that amount of time it's tough to back a guy like that, albeit he does have a grappling advantage here over Dawkins. I do think that Dawkins, you know, every time we see him, his hands continue to get better. His physique, most importantly, continues to get better. And I think we'll see a much better version of him, physically speaking, once he steps on the scales tomorrow. Um, the guy continues to look like he's just dropping weight. I wouldn't even be surprised to see him at 205 if that's the, the, the rate that he's currently going at. But his hand speed, his movement continues to get better on a fight-to-fight -fight basis. And I love the slow progression that they're giving him here. And I think a guy like Shamila Gurahimov is the perfect opponent for him to go out there, pick off, and eventually put out. So um, I hope that we do see him deal with a little bit of adversity here just to kind of give him a little bit more or give us a little bit more confidence that he can deal with the grapple-heavy approach. But I think that uh, Shamil is just going to continuously get stung by that straight down the middle. It's going to keep him on the outside. And I think shortly thereafter, we'll see Dawkins actually knock him out in this spot. So I do like Dawkins, obviously. Um Taking him to win by KO plus 120, even taking him to win inside round one at plus 250, not too bad of an idea, but I do like him to to, to quickly dispose of Shamil in this spot. G give me an argument for Shamil if you have any. Otherwise, how do you think this fight goes down? If I was to play devil's advocate and present you with an argument, it's that, like you mentioned, you'd like to see Chris uh, Doukas go through some adversity. I don't think he de deals well with adversity. I think he's excellent at being the hammer, but so far what we've seen through his regional show career is that when he doesn't have his own way, he tends to curl up a little bit. His last two pro losses, this Azuna uh, and Oahu fight in CFFC, he starts off well. 
As soon as he starts to tire and starts to get hit a little bit, he crumples over. In this fight with Sean Teed, same thing. He gets tired in the second round and ends up giving an Americana, despite having a grappling advantage in that spot. So what, since he's been in the UFC, he's fought Parker Porter, who he ran right through, Rodrigo Nascimento, who he ran right through, and Alexei Olenek, who is 43 years old, former middleweight, who he ran right through. They're attempting to give him another guy that they believe he's going to run right through. But with Shamil Abdurakimov, he's a heavy hitter himself. And for whatever reason, he was able to clip him. He can do some damage. I mean, he shows a win two fights back against Marcin Tybura. His last loss is Curtis Blades, which is no, no, no bad issue there, man. Curtis Blades is a top heavyweight. And with his kind of wrestling-heavy approach, it's a very difficult style, stylistical matchup for a lot of guys. Shows wins over Andre Olovsky. The knockout over Chase Sherman, you know, that was a heavy-duty win. So in a sense, Shamil presents a dangerous opponent. He's also got some decent underrated takedowns, some okay Sambo game. I think he could potentially pose problems, but I know what the UFC is doing here, and I'm on board. I think Delkis is one of these exciting young heavyweights, and they're looking to market these guys. Just like Tom Aspinall, they're looking to give them favorable matchups over guys that have a name within the division. Don't rush them along too fast just yet, but with heavyweight being such an old division, we need to groom this next generation of talent and this next generation of contenders, and that's what they're doing here. When you look at Shamil, right? After the Curtis Blades loss, they were like, they book him with Cyril Gaon. You want to fight Cyril Gaon? Fight falls through. They book him again against Cyril Gaon. And unfortunately, Abdurakhimov pulls out. Then they book him with Augusto Sakai, falls out. Then they book him with Chris Dokus. Fight gets rescheduled. They rebook him with Chris Dokus. And Abdurakhimov pulls out with COVID. So that was just two months ago. So he's been recovering from COVID. He hasn't fought for two years. He's 40 years old. And what do you, once you know it, they just rebooked the exact same fight. They want this fight specifically. Now, why would you want to progress a 40-year-old Shamil Abdurakhimov who's fought once in the last two years? Well, there's not real much benefit in promoting him, right? The markability is not quite there. The audience really hasn't been all that attracted to him. He's coming off a loss. He hasn't competed in a while. He's 40 years old. There's no upside. With Delkis, Delkis is the guy they're trying to move along. So similar to Aspinall versus Olenek, this is their version of that. And I do expect Chris Delkis to go out there, work his hands, Stuff the takedowns if they come. He's going to be the much faster guy, as you mentioned. He's got much faster hands, better boxing, better footwork. It's just I want to see Chris Dokus prolong that pace, you know, be able to fight a good hard two rounds, a good hard three rounds. If he gets clocked, if he gets taken down, come back for all that. I'd like to see it too. But when I'm betting my money on it, don't want to see it. Don't want to see it at all, at least not this Saturday, maybe sometime down the line. So I'm looking at the Dokus by TKO plus 120. Could the submission happen? Sure. But more often than not, I think he's going to catch Shamil Abdurakhimov, who's lost all three of his UFC fights by knockout. So that's the play there. Delkis, Delkis, knockout, plus 120. Shout out to our guy, Uncle Weezy, saying don't forget Shamil. Also dealing with the punctured lung recently, so that definitely does uh, play yeah, it in. It doesn't uh, give you any confidence. Now, I know. It. <laughs> and also, shout out to my guy, Andy Caps, MMA. Parker Porter ain't no scrub, though. Put some respect on my guy. Parker Porter going out there and uh, cashing as a dog in back-to-back -back fights now. Come on. Come so on, you Cody. were on the first. You were on the first one. You were I, was, the first at one. I yeah. was at that card. I was at that card where he and that was legendary. You picked Parker Porter because it's just it's such a slopper and he wins. And then Porter's last fight, I'm thinking shit. I think Porter didn't beat Chase Sherman. He's nice plus money. I message you. I'm like, yo, you got a good read on this guy. You're like, yeah, I got him. I was like, all right, all right. Goes out, does the damn thing. So it's no disrespect to Parker Porter, but but. <laughs> How much more impressive does that make Delkis look, right? For sure. Delkis oh, for blew sure. this guy out in the first, hurt him twice, and that finishing sequence, knee, or he eats a right hand on the way down, knee to the face. Like, holy Beautiful. shit. He blew right through him. Parker Porter's subsequent fights have all been like, heart, baby. This guy just takes a punch and rolls with it, and he's hurt, and he keeps coming. Like, 
got to admit, it makes Doukas's case even look better, really. For sure, especially considering how much damage we've been seeing Porter take and continue to move forward. <laughs> yeah, got to let you know what kind of power Doukas is actually yeah. uh, carrying with him as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, I believe. Nope, this is not the prelim headliner yet. we got Dan Hooker going up against Nazrat Hakpras. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 145 for Hooker, plus 125 for Nazrat Hakpras. And I feel like this is another fight that has violence written all over it. Um, unfortunately, though, I, I just don't feel super confident in terms of betting aside in this fight, considering all the out-of-cage shit going on, right? Both guys dealing with visa issues. Both guys probably in the air right now en route from New Zealand and Germany, respectively, uh, and having to cut weight during that entire time. Not a good look. Not 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 something you want to go into, especially with a high-profile fight like this for both of these guys. Um, Dan Hook, obviously, technically the better fighter, right? Better jiu-jitsu, in my opinion, better striking, better mechanics when it comes to the striking realm specifically. But Nazra Hakpras has some mean power in his hands, and he just moves forward, blitzes forward, uh, has decent speed as well, and is able to more often than not find the turn of his opponents. I think Hooker, at a certain point, is going to start being labeled uh, damaged goods. And I'm almost already there, man. His last three fights alone, the guy has taken so much goddamn damage. Even though he didn't get put out in the uh, Paul Felder fight, even though he didn't get put out in the Dustin Poirier fight, and he got starched as fuck by Michael Chandler last time around, the guy is just taking so much damage. I just don't know how much longer his chin's going to be able to hold up. And now you're putting him up against a heavy puncher like Nazra Hakras. I lean with the dog here, Nazareth, man. The only reason I'm not actually pulling the trigger on him here is considering everything that's been going on outside of the cage. Again, visa issues. His mom just passed away, what, less than two weeks ago. He had something to deal with over there, right? He leaves his training camp to go bury his mother and then gets stuck in Germany, and now he's finally coming back. I believe he has 32 hours or less than 30 hours until uh, uh, he has to make weight from the moment that he stepped on the plane. And this is a guy that's had weight issues in the past. So that's something that we have to acknowledge as well. So if he steps on the scale, looks good to go, you know, I might have to take a little bit of a poke on that hack pressed KO, which is currently sitting at uh, plus 310. But even the under two and a half at plus 110, covering both sides, because we've seen hack press obviously be put out himself as well. Um, I like violence here, man. Under two and a half plus 110, but I'm going to lean with the hack press side of things at that plus 310 KO mark. I got to take a shot there. How do you feel about this matchup? You're usually the one that likes the overs here. Am I getting too greedy with the unders? How do you feel about this one? Yeah, yeah, potentially getting a little greedy on the over, but I, I, I think that it's probably going to be violence, like you mentioned. Dan Hooker, the way he fights, he just tries to put pace on you. And you mentioned, holy crap, look at the damage he took from Michael Chandler. First time he ever been knocked out to the head, right? Um, holy crap, look at the damage he took against Tustin Poirier. Oh man, the Paul Felder fight. That is a leisurely walk on a Sunday afternoon in Grand Central Park in comparison to the Edson Barbosa fight. Oh, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Right, damage goods, damage goods. But I just think he's still young enough that he can, his body's able to come back. He wants these big spots. He's looking for big fights. He's always bringing it. And as far as the talent level goes, in a three-round fight, him versus Justin Poirier, he wins the decision. In a three-round fight, him versus uh, Paul Felder, I guess he beat Paul Felder anyways, but in a three-round fight, he's got volume all day. It's rounds four and five. I know Michael Chandler is Michael Chandler, but it's four and five where he starts to get in trouble. It's four and five where he starts to take an insurmountable damage and his body starts to shut down on him. As far as 15-minute goes, he's excellent at just wearing a pace on guys. Now, here's something else we have to look at. You mentioned Nazareth Hackcross is a heavy hitter, right? Nazareth's five wins in the UFC, four of them are white of decision. So I don't know really how much of a heavy hitter he is. He does let his hands go. He does throw with bad intent, but the results for the knockout, not necessarily there. And so when you consider Nazareth Hackcross's last two fights, 
were Hafa Garcia and Alex Munoz, and he didn't look particularly great in either of them. Well, that's a bit of a problem. Dan Hooker's fighting Chandler, Dustin Poirier, Paul Felder, Ally Quinta's dope, Edson Barbosa. He knocked out Gilbert Burns. What? Like, as far as experience goes, it's not even comparable. What did Hackross do? Beat Tebow Gowdy? Is that his big win? Like, so experience level, we got to go with Dan Hooker. As far as volume goes, I want to say Dan Hooker. I think he'll be able to overwhelm him. Now let's talk about another thing. Nazrat Hackross, the last number of fights, has been fighting out of Montreal, Canada, Team TriStar. Because of this whole pandemic, he's stuck in Germany. So he's not training with his regular coaching staff, nor his regular training partners. Whereas Dan Hooker is stuck in New Zealand, where he's training with the same guys he trains with all the time, which is, by the way, some of the best guys on the planet. He's been itching for a while for this visa thing. I'm going to get it going. He had the process going a lot earlier. I don't know. There's obviously the stress. And am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? But he would have started the process early enough. I feel like you'd know I'm probably getting this thing done. Dana's helping me getting this thing done. We're getting this thing done. You're fired up. Whereas Nazareth only gets hit with it late. <laughs> this should have got moved to a catch weight of 160, 165, Absolutely. just to be fair for both guys. But it's not. And you're right. Hack Ross against Rafa Garcia. <clears throat> I bet everything on him, right? Because I'm a huge Hackrass guy. I bet everything on him. He is like my central log, and I have him with some big money riding on him. He shows up to the scales, and I already locked in the fucking bet. Shows up to the scales, and he looked like shit, like death. And I'm thinking, oh, no. He goes out there against Rafa Garcia, wins. We're happy with that. But in the first round, Rafa brought it to him. In fact, Rafa brought it to him so good in that fight and looked so good in that fight in a loss that he ends up going off as like a four to one favor of Chris Grutzmacher and then getting completely owned. Got yeah. finished by Chris Grutzmacher. Got slapped pillar to post. But where was Hack Paras with this dominating performance over a short notice replacement, right? So in some senses, I, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm big on him. I've always been big on him. I've never been against him other than his debut against Marcin Held. And unfortunately, I lost the Drew Dober fight. You know, fully admit that one. He got caught. But it, it's even in the victories. I'm not all that impressed. And he's fighting what would be considered mid to low or just flat out low level competition by a UFC standard. Whereas Dan Hooker is just fighting the best guys going. Now, you mentioned fight doesn't go the distance. And I think that's going to cover you on both sides. I think the fight doesn't go the distance. Either Hack Barras does chin check him, and you're right. And this guy is flooding his hands going. Hooker is damaged goods. Or maybe Hooker overwhelms him. But I was hoping for the Hooker overwhelms him. And at plus 270, on a hooker by TKO. That's what I went with. Nazrat doesn't like getting hit. No fighter does, I suppose, but he doesn't seem to react well to getting hit. Dober folds him out in a minute, but Dober's got big heavy power puncher. Hooker's more of a volume guy, but Hooker's got the knees up the middle. And for a guy that's knocked out Jim Miller, who's cast iron, he's knocked out Gilbert Burns, who's cast iron. He's at, He almost knocked out Dustin Poirier. Please go rewatch that fight. It's a career best <laughs> performance from Dan Hooker. He's got the goods to put a man away. And if he is damaged himself, then Nazra will have that exact same chance. So maybe you attack it from the fight, doesn't go the distance. But at plus 270, I thought, you know what? I'm going to have a, a little stab at the hooker inside the distance. Uh, not even inside the distance. It'd be a hooker by TKO. I'm throwing the submission opportunity at the, at the window. I like it. I like it. I will say, I do think that uh, even though Hackbrass does have four wins by decision, as you were saying, this guy is pretty durable. Mark DKC, um, uh, uh, T-Bow Galti, he dropped him in that fight as well. He pretty much dropped everybody in his first couple fights in the UFC. Only finished Joaquim Silva, who a little bit of a chin issue himself. And I feel as though this this, this perfectly intersects with Hakra's power and Hooker's uh, diminishing durability, if that's what you want to call it.
Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, even Thibaut Gaudi, his UFC debut, he got rear naked choked in 20, dropped, and then rear naked choked in 24 seconds. And then Obey Mercier subbed him in the third round. Chad Laprise knocked him out in a minute and a half. And, and then you see, so he's been finished three times in his three UFC fights. That's what's not spirited to me about hack cross, is even if he hurts a guy, he's not trying to pressure them. And I think in a game of volume, and with Hooker, it's all about volume. For I think sure. he's going to allow Hooker to lead the dance. But uh, and, and I don't know. I, I suppose, you know what? I'd like to say big cage favors Hooker because he's the big, tall, long guy, but he doesn't fight with range at no, all. He at bum all. rushes forward. So you know who wins in this fight? I'll tell you exactly who's going to win this fight, the fans. Because, yeah, for sure. Uh, this is a great card. <laughs> when you opened it up by saying, Oh, and uh, the featured pre. Oh, wait, this is not the featured preload. <laughs> that should have been your idea. That this is a very good card. Yes, very absolutely. Excited. All right, let's move on to the next fight to the featured prelim now. Marlon Marais going up against Marab Davalishvili. Uh, in terms of odds, obviously, heavy chalk here on Davalishvili. Minus 250, plus 210 is the return on Marlon Marais. Another binary fight. We got a lot of binary fights on this card where you're like, oh, if this happens, then this will happen, right? Um, if Marlon Reich is successful in winning this fight, it's more than likely going to be with that first round knockout. You know what I mean? We, we've seen as his career has progressed, he seems to drop off the longer that the fights go. And when you're going up against an energizer bunny like Marab Davalishvili, he's going to be in for uh, a pretty rough night. But I will say this. I've always said that I've been looking for the guy that is technically uh, a much better striker than Marab and has gas tank to deal with that type of pace. We have the technically better striker here, Marlon Reich, but we just don't have that gas tank that if he doesn't get the knockout early in this fight, I think that he's going to be drowned by the by the second and third round. Um, I do like Marab in this spot. Um, I do think that he has a potential to win this fight via decision. That's probably how I'm going to predict this fight going. But there is that potential that he can overwhelm Marais so much that he could potentially get like a, a an accumulative TKO type of uh, a finish later. Excuse me, later in this fight. Uh, John, uh, the other co-host of the show, ha had suggested the KO slash decision for Marab Devalishvili, which is sitting around minus 130, if you have access to one of those books that give you those double chance type of props. I think that's great. I think this is a very good line, considering I don't think he's going to go out there. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have no idea what's going on with my throat right now, but I will get through this. Um, I, I don't think he's going to go out there and submit a guy like Marlon Reich, so I think it's either a late KO or a decision for a Marab, uh, for Marab here. But if you are one of those hedgers, Marlon Marais round one plus 800, not too bad. And Marlon Marais KO plus 650, not too bad either, as I believe that those are his two paths to victory in this fight is either getting that Hail Mary knockout or getting Marab out of there early. I like Marab that uh, I do believe his durability will hold up. I think he'll stay away from the big power of Marlon while making Marlon work. And then he should either find a finish or just continuously grind on him and finish the, uh, and get the decision in this fight. So, uh, like I said, KO slash decision, double a double chance. I think it's roughly around minus one thirty. That's a good spot. But uh, if you just want to take a single shot, and mostly people have access to this, is Marab by decision at plus one ten. Kind of surprised you're getting plus money on a prop like that, considering that's usually how Marab wins his fights. That's where I'm going to go. Are you giving any um, any credence to, to Marais here, or are you on the Marab side as well? Yeah, well, so again, I'm, I've marked my my notes down. Devashvili Marais fight goes the distance, minus 180, and Devashvili by decision, plus 110. But I got this sense, right? I got this smell. Smells like ap shit, <laughs> specifically shit in my pie. And I don't know why I can't shake it. Marab is dominant. He goes out there, he destroys guys with the wrestling, and as a result, it's like, 
he just he's become an auto bet kind of guy. You see him, doesn't matter who he's fighting, he's probably just gonna take this guy down and munch. So you auto bet him. And that's that's all fair and good. He's obviously very talented. He's a top guy within this division. When you look back in specific against his last two opponents, Cody Stamen and, and John Dodson, didn't think he looked all that good, man. Now, mind you, he's always had a huge wrestling advantage over everybody. But now that you start fighting some better level of opposition, the takedowns don't necessarily come as easy. So you don't see him score 12 like he did against Casey Keeney, 13 like he did against Gustavo Lopez. Against John Dodson, he only is able to take him down two times. And Dodson has just super low output, doesn't throw enough. So as a result, he outstrikes him 50 to 27 over the course of 15 minutes. But watching it live and even re-watching it, you almost get the sense that if Dobson would have just used that counter-wrestling with a little bit more output, with a little bit more pressure, he could have made this a greasy spot for Murad Devashvili. It wasn't a cruise fight for Devashvili, even though he gets the decision. Then that last fight against Cody Stamen. The first fight's actually ultra-competitive. The second round's Murad Devashvili. And then the third round, Murad's tired. And the takedowns aren't working as easy. Cody Stamen does an excellent job in the third round. In fact, I thought he won the third round. I'd score 29-28 Murad Devashvili. A lot of people did give Cody Stamen the third round. And as far as the judges are concerned, Saul D'Amato gave Cody Stamen the third round. Rick Winner gave Cody Stamen the first round. So all you need is one judge to see that first and that third, and there's your decision right there. We see bad decisions all the time. Wrestling sometimes just isn't enough. You saw Maram Dabashvili in one of the biggest robberies you'll see in a while, him versus Frankie Science, right? What did he take him down, 16 times? And he still lost a split decision because sometimes it's just a takedown and a non of work out of it. Now that you're fighting elite-level guys, the takedown defense is going to start getting better, and the striking is going to start getting better. He hasn't shown the ability to just win a straight-up 15-minute fight just with some elite-level striking. It's striking to cause havoc, to cause pressure, to shoot that takedown. But again, the better these guys are going to be, the tougher it's going to get. And against Marias, I mean, again, there's just a small sense of me that's thinking, are we just writing him off? Is this one of these fights where it's like, oh, Marab's been looking awesome, and Marlon's been looking like shit. So you're you're not putting enough thought into it? Like, is, Mar is Marlon that live underdog? As far as his ability to knock a man out, anybody, you know, Aljamain Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, classically durable guys, he could land. But beyond that, his takedown defense is pretty good. He actually stuffed three or four of Henry Cejudo's takedown attempts. You know, he's a guy that shows traditionally throughout his career, he's fought a lot of wrestlers, he's been able to keep the fight upright, and he does have a significant striking advantage. Whereas his last time out, he was coming off a two-month layover from a bad knockout loss. So he had lost to Corey Sanhagen with a wheel kick. Two months later, I don't even know who sanctions that. No, eight weeks right. later, brutal. He loses again to Rob Font. Now he's had eight or nine months off to clear the cobwebs. He is 33, he's a little bit old. He's no longer with Mark Henry in New York. I believe he's at American Top Team over in Florida. If he shows up, he shows out, stuffs some takedowns, wins the battle of the jab, stays to the outside, uses those leg kicks, and has two rounds of cardio, Marab's not a finisher. Marab's not likely going to put him away. Marab's likely going to pick up decisions just like he always does. So it would be key to sprawl and brawl this guy and potentially pick up a couple wins. My pick will be Marab. But for Marab's price, Marab's history, everyone seems on Marab this week. Everyone's liking that Marab, even that Marab by decision, which again, at plus 110, very, looks good to me. Could that be the guy I end up having too much faith in in a parlay somewhere along the line that ends up blowing it? I'm not as impressed with him as the numbers and the results seem to suggest that you should be, right? And so maybe I'm totally off on this. Maybe I'm being too hesitant, but like I just I got a little extra reserve for this one. We'll take Marab, but I do see that clear path of victory for for Marlon Marais. And what it all comes down to is is he the damaged goods? You and I spoke about earlier about Hooker. Uh, Hooker. 
Yeah, we've got Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker's taken a lot of damage. You know, where is he at at this stage? In Marlon's case, it's like, dude, Marlon's taken a lot of damage. Where is he at at this stage? It's like, did I mention he's got to win over Jose Aldo? Legit. People say he didn't, but totally did win that fight. Close, close. Totally did win it, though. Yeah, yeah. And and he fought Peter Yan. And he fought, you know, he's he's fighting at a pretty, you know, a pretty high level. Like, his his losses, sorry, didn't fight Peter Yan, fought... Rafael Asenso, Aljamain Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, Henry Cejudo, Jose Aldo, Corey Sandhagen, Rafa. You know, that's a, it's a big, it's, it's some of the best guys in the sport. Marab, even though he's one of the best guys, such a different style. He doesn't pose the same striking threat as those guys. He doesn't have the same experience as those guys. He doesn't have the same deep ga- uh, gas tank that those guys do. You know, dude was beating up uh, Henry Cejudo bad in that first round. Well, good, Eddie, he didn't win the first round pretty clean. And then he got tired, right? Give me two rounds of cardio, and he's going to be a real problem for Marab, so... I don't know. See how I keep jumping back and forth? Confidence level, just not where I need to be to go and put a confident play out there. I definitely see where you're coming from in terms of the public maybe too high and too low on, on either side, uh, which is why the line is where it currently is. But man, like the, the way you're talking, it ha- kind of has me wanting to take a shot on either Marais round one or that Marais KO as well, because I just think that Marav is just way too hittable, man. And we just are overlooking the power that uh, Marais actually brings to the table and the hittability of, of Marav. The guy eats shots, but like how long is that durability going to hold up? And Marash, we know he has heavy hands, heavy kicks. Could find that, could find that shot, man. All right. For sure. All right, let's move on to the main card here. And obviously, this is the time I would always want to remind you guys, hit that like, hit that subscribe. And obviously, hit up Cody's channel as well. The link is in the description below. CJ's MMA, I believe, is what the link is. Just click on the link, hit that subscribe. Always got some great content on there. Not to mention breaking down the bees. I love that podcast or, or that stream that you do for Bellator and uh, these other shows. So make sure you guys go check that out. All right, main card time. Jessica Andrade against Cynthia Calvillo. Chalk once again, minus 250 on Jessica Andrade, plus 210 the return on Cynthia Calvillo. Um, I think this is going to be a, an Andrade type of fight, right? Stalking her opponent for the most of the time, walking her down, landing big shots. I don't know if she'll get the knockout in this fight, but I do think that we'll see her control this fight for the most part. I think the way for Calvillo to be successful, similar to Jonathan Pierce in this first fight, I think they need to get success with the grappling. I'm not 100% sure if Calvillo will truly be able to get takedowns. Um, obviously, BJJ is very good, one of the better ones inside the, the, the UFC, and especially in that in that division in particular. But I think she's going to struggle in terms of getting Jessica Andrade down and dealing with the strength that Andrade brings to the table. And then after that, if this fight is on the feet, sure, Calvillo could possibly go out there and, and out-volume her. But I think that the judges are definitely going to see the amount of damage that Andrade is landing on her time and time again, that it's going to be hard not to give Andrade the decision. I think that Calvillo is durable enough to deal with that power, but I don't think that she's going to be able to deal with the damage that's going to be dished out to her. And I think optically speaking, the judges are going to kind of favor her in the spot. So I like the overs in this fight. Over two and a half is minus 145. And then I also do like Andrade via decision, which is currently sitting at plus 175. I obviously, you know, one thing that comes to mind, obviously, is when Marina Rodriguez hurt, um, Calvillo in the clinch in one of their fights. I just don't know if we'll see another similar situation to that. I don't think that this is going to be like Andrade Trukagian by any means, but I do think that we'll see her just go out there and stalk her opponent the entire time. Again, Calvillo, good fighter, have cashed on her in the past, but I just don't think that this is a good stylistic matchup for her, and I think she's going to falter under that power 
Um, and it will kind of make her too shy in terms of going out there and trying to close the distance and land takedowns. And I think we'll see Andrade go out there and uh, just want a decision in this fight. Like I said, plus 175 on Andrade via decision, not too shabby. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, it's a tough spot for Calvillo. If you're Jessica Andrade coming off the run of opponents that she's fought, and it's like you need a bounce back, it makes sense to fight Cynthia Calvillo. Cynthia Calvillo, this ain't no bounce back. You know, she needs one too, but no, no, no. She's being brought out here and given Jessica Andrade, and that's a tough go. Really, how she wins this fight is her wrestling. I don't think Jessica Andrade's takedown defense is great. You saw in the Shevchenko fight, if you do get her to the ground, maybe you can control her as a bigger fighter. But that's Valentina Shevchenko, yeah. and this is Cynthia Calvillo. And let me tell you, Cynthia Calvillo was a minus 240 your last time out against Chukagian. And I was on Chukagian. Nonsense. Yeah, Nonsense. yeah. And I was on Caitlin. And I, I tweeted out like 45, maybe a minute into the first round. I was like, live bet Caitlin right now. And it all came down to the stuffing of the first takedown attempt. Caitlin Chukagian loses <sighs> if you can take her down. She, yeah. Calvillo shot that takedown and she just shucked her off like nothing. It was like, oh no. Calvillo's big advantage was she would miss weight at 115, come in as the bigger <laughs> fighter, and wrangle you to the ground. But yeah. now at 125, she's taking on some opponents that are also equally as strong. She needs to rely on her striking a little bit more. And there's just not enough output out of her. There's not enough power out of her. There's not enough. The technique not, is not necessarily bad, but she's going to fall behind on the scorecard. And Indraj is another fighter that we've broken out of many of them on this card. And we will talk about it when we get to the main event, especially. What, what has she got? What has she got left, right? What is she going to, where's her, what is her head at? And it's not that Indraj is old or over the hill. It's that at her best, she wins this fight anywhere she wants to win this fight far better stand-up right she's just gonna well I, not technically because she just loops those shots but it's so does john style. lineker and yeah. who wants to fight john lineker nobody she'll close the distance she'll pressure forward she's always on you she's tenacious she works the body she'll absolutely just put pace and pace and rhythm on you eventually break you down her wrestling this girl used to fight at 135 and would pick girls like raquel pennington clear over her head and slam yeah. she's so strong as far as her, her BJJ, well, you know, I wasn't impressed last time out, but she is a black belt. She's got a nasty rear naked choke on her. She's the complete package. It's just once in a while you see her come and fight a questionable fight, right? Maybe her ring IQ is not quite there. Maybe her motivation level is not quite there. Maybe she's not quite as in shape. She's making Boku money on OnlyFans. How much is she committed to being the best martial artist in the world? And she's a former champion, but she's also lost to the champ. She's lost to another former champ. She's, she's fought in the best of the best. And except for the one time where she took a 10-8 round and then picked a girl up and slammed her on her face, which, by the way, did I mention she's capable of doing that? <laughs> Outside of that one time, she has actually been coming up on the short end of the stick when she's matched up against the elite of the elite. Fortunately for her, Cynthia Calvillo, especially at 34 years old, does not represent that elite of the elite. If for whatever reason Andrade shit in the apple pie and didn't show up, we're hitting overs, man. We're hitting overs on this fight. So I got fight goes the distance. I believe it was set at 120. You mentioned you got Andrade by decision at plus 170. I saw it at plus 120. Obviously, my book's trying to screw me one. Um, but yeah, I, 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 apparently some people got it earlier in the week at like plus 220 or something. So money's probably coming in on the Andrade by decision. Because last but not least, even if Andrade goes out there and does what she's capable of, Calvillo's losses are Chikagian decision, Carlos Sparza by decision. Those are her two pro losses, right? She's never been knocked out. I know what you're saying. She, we have seen her get wobbled before, but the fact is she came back. And even the Marina Rodriguez fight, she took a B-tang at times in that fight against a very heavy power puncher in Marina Rodriguez and, again, still lived to tell the tale. So I think her chin and durability is enough to at least secure us that decision loss at the very least. And then if you're on the Andrade by decision side of things, Perfect. So those would be the two uh, shots I'm looking to take there. 
that, that we're in agreement there. Again, I know a lot of people think that Andrade will be able to get her out of there, but I, I got to give a little bit more credit to Calvillo in terms of being able to uh, sustain damage and then, uh, you know, actually make it to the judges' scorecards. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got the heavyweight belt between Curtis Blades going up against Jarzinho Rosenstrike. Again, heavy chalk. Curtis Blades more than likely is always going to be heavy chalk in his fights. Minus 300 here and plus 250 is a return on Rosenstrike. I have this hypothetical like heavyweight knockout artist gauntlet in my head. And unfortunately for Curtis Blades, he's running through it the opposite way. He's starting off at the top with Francis Ngannou. Can't get past him. Goes down to Derek Lewis. Can't get past him. Next up is Jarzino Rosenstrike. And I got to believe that he's going to be able to go out there and knock out a guy like that. And just for reference, below Jarzino Rosenstrike is Walt Harris. Just letting you know where the where the gauntlet starts. But I think he should be able to go out there, land the takedowns here against Jarzino Rosenstrike. And albeit, I do think he looked pretty good with his striking in that first round against Derek Lewis. But then again, I could look better with my striking against Derek Lewis, knowing that if I just got to evade that big shot from Derek Lewis, I should be able to pick him apart. Uh, but that's what Curtis Blades did. He, did. he had a great game plan in that first round in terms of not rushing the takedown. Just throw kicks out there. Just stay at distance. Throw, you know, win on points. Evade those big shots from Derek Lewis, and that takedown will eventually open itself up. Unfortunately for him in that second round, it seems like he started to rush trying to get the takedowns. Like he needed to get the takedowns to get the win in that fight. And then unfortunately for him, went right into that power uppercut of Derek Lewis and ended up, uh, you know, starting up at the lights that night. But I think that he's learned enough from that fight. You know, don't shoot on the power side uh, of a fighter, especially against a guy like Derek Lewis. You know, shoot on the weak side, and you'll probably have more success and not get knocked the fuck out. Jusino Rosenstrike, obviously very low volume, looks for his openings and then kind of explodes from there. But I don't think he has a knockout power that Derek Lewis has, man. Derek Lewis is just another level, otherworldly with his knockout power. So even if he does land on uh, Blades here on, on, on an entry, uh, I think that Blades will be able to eat it and then quickly secure the takedown thereafter. After. Uh, I still think that Jorginho is a bit of a fish off of his back. You know, I, I was kind of surprised that Overeem was not able to put him away in that first round when he got him down uh, when they had fought. Um, but I think when you have a guy like Curtis Blades was crushing top pressure and is able to pass guard pretty well and obviously massive nasty elbows from on top, I think he's going to be able to slice through butter, uh, slice through uh, Jorginho Rosenstrike like butter and then eventually find a TKO or a submission uh, after that. The submission prop is something that I've kind of been teasing every now and then. I know Blades likes to go for that TKO more often than not, but I feel like submission opportunities will open themselves up especially against a guy like Jorginho who's not the greatest off of his back. Plus 1,000 for uh, Blades to win by submission. I'd have to take a little bit of a sprinkle on that, but I do think that we'll see Blades ground this fight and then find a TKO after that. If the total was set at two and a half, I'd probably take the under two and a half. But it's set at one and a half, and we might need a little bit of that second round for Blades to truly find that finish in this fight. So I like Blades. Blades inside the distance, which is currently sitting at uh, plus one, plus one thirty. I like that line. Um, Again, under one and a half is getting a little risky at plus 140 because we might need to see Curtis kind of, you know, he might do the same thing he did in the Blades fight or, or the Lewis fight. Just put the striking out there, stay busy enough, don't rush the takedown, and then eventually find that takedown and go to work from there. So I like Blades, Blades inside the distance, plus 130. How are you liking this one? Did we lose you? We may have lost Cody. Cody. Yep. 
we lost Cody. So I'm going to continue to talk about this fight until we get Cody back in here. Um, but yeah, I, I truly think that Blades has definitely learned more than enough that he needed to in his last fight with Curtis, uh, with Derek Lewis. And then he should be able to get back into the cage uh, and, and do what Curtis Blades does. You know what I mean? If you guys remember how dominant he is with his with his ground and pound, right? Like the uh, the Shamil Abdurahimov fight, the, the Alistair Overeem fight. The guy can go out there and really put a hurting on his opponents. I'm sure Cody's just having a little bit of Wi-Fi issues. He should be back in here very shortly. Um, let me just shoot him a message. <clears throat> yeah, another very binary fight in terms of trying to break this one down, right? Needs his takedowns to to secure victory, and uh, Jersey you needs to keep the fight standing. Cody, do we have you back? Yeah, I don't know why I dropped there out there. But yeah, no, I, I think I think we're on the same page. We know with Blades, he's probably the better wrestler in the division, one of the best wrestlers in the division. He gets his fight down to the ground. That's where he's comfortable. That's where he does his best work. Unfortunately, and I'm not even going to call him Chinny. So unfortunately, he's had a bad run of taking on the best power punches in the game. If you were to just quiz, and you've been watching the sport for a long time, right? So if you were just to quiz and say who's the heaviest power puncher. In UFC history, heavyweight division, Francis Ngannou. It's like, well, who's the, who, yeah, who, who's, who's the second biggest power puncher in UFC history? Derek Lewis. And the, who's the third biggest power puncher in UFC history? Tank Abbott. But four might be Jerry's a Rosenstruck, right? You don't hit as hard as my boy Tank, who you've still not seen the human body shape like that when a man hits them. My <laughs> God, Steve Nelmark still hasn't woken up from that shit. But yeah, it's just with Blades, is he's taking on some very, very heavy-handed guys. And at heavyweight, unfortunately, everybody can crack, and that's going to be an issue for him. You mentioned that you thought he fought an excellent game plan against Derek Lewis, and I'm not so sure I agree with that. He struck for the entirety of the first round with him. I think you need to wear on him with the wrestling. And I know you don't want to overcommit. You don't want to overshoot something. But don't shoot in the open space, right? You need to use your strikes to back him up against the cage and then shoot against the cage. He's not going to generate that same force behind there. With, with Yerzino Rosenstruck, yeah, the fact that Alistair Overeem was taking him down. And rewatch that, man. It's like a football tackle. Like It's not even really high-level wrestling. It's just a big, strong man tossing you to the ground. Blades should be able to do that. But I'm not so sure Blades is going to be in a rush to finish this fight. The longer he's pounding on Yerzino trying to put him away, he does open himself up to potentially a scramble. He does open himself up to tiring out. He does open himself up to if this thing gets onto the later rounds and I don't conserve myself, I'm going to be in some trouble. You have seen him in a couple fights, Alexander Volkov, uh, Justin, uh, Big Titty, Big Titty Willis. Sometimes he'll just take the fight to the ground, and it's not like he's just not doing any ground and pound. It's that he'll look to control a little more than anything else and just rinse and repeat with his wrestling. So to be honest, I don't like any of the props on this one. I know you're inside the distance here. I actually looked at the Blades decision plus 200, but you've got two big heavyweights, and especially a guy like Yarazino Rosenstruck capable of either knocking you out or being completely defenseless and vulnerable off of his back, which is a position Blades is likely going to get him in. So I'm going to go with Curtis Blades. As far as a prop standpoint, well, all the only thing I marked down would be the Blades by decision plus 200, but I don't really like it. I think more often than not, I'll just use Blades as ticket material. And that's a scary premise because I'll tell you something. I thankfully bet against him in the Nganu fights, but he, he cost me big in the Lewis fight. I'm sure he cost a lot of people big in the Lewis fight. Because Lewis has cost a lot of people money in Lewis fights. But with Blades, it's like, it Blades. seems to be that kryptonite, you know? He's got a hell of a beard on him, but he don't got a great beard on him, right? 
Yeah. Buyer, buyer beware, but yeah, I think uh, we're in agreement that the wrestling should be the big key here, and it should be the easiest path of victory for Curtis Blades. For sure. Blades inside the distance against Derek Lewis is still in my dreams, haunting me that he was not able to get the finish there. Unfortunately, he was the one getting finished. And I do quickly want to uh, address something in the chat in regards to the tape index and Cody Brundage. I did update it last night. And then I just quickly look in my Gmail and it's sitting in my drafts for some reason. I didn't actually end up uh, hitting the send to send it over to Newsom to put it up on the tape index, but I just sent it off to him now. He is over there in the UK, so he's probably fast asleep at this point in time. But as soon as he's up, I've already sent him the message to get it up. So if you guys are looking for Cody Brundage tape, it will be up on the tape index uh, by tomorrow morning. So keep your eyes peeled for that. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got, uh, well, the big one. Nick Diaz going up against Robbie Lawler. Originally scheduled... For 170 pounds, Nick Diaz doing Nick Diaz shits, asking for it to be at 185 pounds. It comes through. Uh, and now the odds, we are seeing a lot of action on Robbie Lawler over the last 24 hours after that one clip of Nick Diaz came out <laughs> where he's like shadow boxing. And if it really takes that much for people to invest their hard-earned money on a side, this may not be the game for you. And Robbie Lawler may end up winning. Don't get me wrong. But you can't let something like that completely skew you on one side or the other, right? Can I Go cut ahead. you off really quick right there? I know what you're saying, right? You got to be smart. You got to be analytical. What's some dumb 10-second clip? However, keep in mind, just what? Two weeks ago, Vitor Belfort was a minus 130, <laughs> minus 130 favorite over Vander Holyfield. And then a 10-second clip came out of him hitting the mitts. And it was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I've been lied to. <laughs> Boom, and he steamed right over to 230 and looked like he was a minus 10,000. Like, oh man. So, so I think, I think it's when you see the clip, you're like, oh, that's not the Nick Diaz I remember. You know, not saying he's not capable of winning this fight, but <laughs> you got to admit, he's either the greatest tactician and playing the greatest <laughs> mind games or he's trying to bet on himself i'll say this like if you go back and watch nick diaz fights like that's kind of how he throws his combinations man the guy's like wide and he's not like he's good technically don't me don't, don't get me wrong but like that's kind of how he does it not to mention he's doing it for a, a promo video he's doing it where they're like don't move your feet just throw your hands and don't throw too quickly because we're trying to catch something right that's kind of what uh, I, i'm getting from that clip but um yeah, maybe he wasn't expecting to have to go down to 170 pounds. He's like, oh, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go to 185. Regardless, I still believe Diaz has that Diaz spirit about him. I still believe he has that durability about him. I still believe he has that that grit that will allow him to kind of take those shots from Robbie Lawler and keep chugging forward. If this was a three-round fight, I'd, I'd be a little bit more skeptical in terms of backing the Diaz side here. With that said, I'm not backing either side here. I can't back either side confidently. So why the fuck would I? The only thing that I feel confident in is the over. The durability of Nick Diaz should hold up here. The durability of Robbie Lawler should show uh, should hold up. And even though Nick Diaz one punch KO'd him when they fought 17 years ago, he's not really a one punch knockout kind of guy nowadays, right? Well, six years ago, seven years ago, whatever the last time he fucking fought. So I do think that Robbie Lawler will hold up. I do think that Diaz will hold up. I think we see this fight going to rounds four and five. And if we get even a half of a Nick Diaz that we've seen in the past, I think we'll see him overwhelm uh, uh, Robbie Lawler the later that this fight goes on. And then I think he could get him out of there later in this fight this is not a fight where i want to stick my uh my, my flag in the ground and be like oh i'm picking it Diaz and he's gonna he's the lock of the night or anything like that no i don't know how anybody could have all uber confidence on either side in this fight the only real argument you can make is that robbie lawler has been more active than nick diaz over the last six years okay good but still nick diaz you know 
party and do whatever the fuck he does, I still believe that he can go out there and fight and showcase some solid durability, which is all he's really going to need. Luckily for Robbie Lawler, he's this isn't a fight where he's going to get put through the meat grinder like he did his last two fights, right? Neil Magny goes out there, takes him down, clinch fucks him, does everything that he wants just to stay away from that big power. Colby Covington, same thing. Now he's getting a guy that's actually going to will willingly go out there and brawl with him. And I think that the durability of both guys is going to hold up. It's going to come down to will Nick Diaz be able to put on that pace that we know him to be able to put on, and will will Robbie Lawler be able to uh, withstand that? I don't think so. I think that the later that this goes, the more it favors Nick Diaz, and I am actually leaning Diaz with a late finish here. Again, no uber confidence. I would rather take the over two and a half, uh, which is around minus 225. It seems like the widely available nine now is over three and a half. I'd be slightly skeptical with that, but minus 170 is not too bad. But I do like uh, a round four or round five TKO finish here from Nick, uh, from Nick Diaz. Again, if we see anything close to what it used to look like. Uh, plus 3,100 for Diaz in round five. Plus, uh, wow, this is wrong as hell. Plus 2,800. Diaz Nick around five, um, and round four plus 2200 for Diaz. How are you seeing this one? Bring me back, bring me back to reality. Yeah, it's conflicting for me, man. Because on one hand, Robbie Law is one of my favorite fighters of all times, and Nick Diaz is one of my favorite fighters of all times. And I love the matchup. I'm not saying I don't want to see it, I love it. This is to me is the super fight to put together. I know Diaz says he wants to fight with Kamaru Uzman. No, no fight with Kamaru Uzman. How is that easier? <laughs> I don't, I don't, but he's out of his mind. But that's what makes him a fan favorite, right? Is that yeah. just like Nate? It's just like I'm the money fight. Just, which I, I guess think, he's right. He's not necessarily the best guy in the division, but he is the money fight. The greatest. Let me ask, you, real, let me, let yeah, me ask you a question real quick. Sorry, Cody. Um, you've been around the game for a, a long fucking time. Is there anything you see different about Nick Diaz this week than you haven't seen in the past? I feel as though it's pretty much the same fucking Nick Diaz we've always seen. Like it's what same, he's talking about, how he Nick looks. Diaz. So yeah, it's the same Nick Diaz you've always seen. The problem is, is that uh, Jake Shields is one of his good friends and training partners had released a statement. This is a couple months ago now. And they were like, do you think we'll ever see Nick Diaz come back? And he says, no. And when he says it, he says, you know what? When this guy was fighting for world championships and fighting in the UFC at the top of his game, he's like, he had never drank alcohol. You know, he never was one to drink. He always came to training. He's always going hard. Uh, just vegan lifestyle, running triathlons. He goes, and then when he retired, this is a guy that started fighting professional when he was 20 years old. He was a young, he was a young kid. He'd been fighting like amateur in these school gymnasiums when he was back in high school. He's got like an entire life of that. They grew up poor. He's fighting is going to be his way to get out of this bad situation, start in California, and he does it and he makes the money. And now he's a millionaire, not a multimillionaire, but he's a millionaire. He's comfortable enough. He doesn't want to take the punches anymore. He wants to enjoy a life. And that interview, everyone keeps saying, oh, it's so sad and this and that. What he's saying there is that. You know, I, I'm going to get my ass kicked. I'm going to beat this guy, but I'm going to get my ass kicked. And unfortunately, you can watch any Nick Diaz fight you want. He almost always gets his ass kicked <laughs> and then finds a way to win. The Paul, Paul Daly, Daly fight. Remember they <laughs> yeah, had the, the, yeah, but Jinx, it, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even just that. Look at the, the Iron Mike Ina, right? They fought, they fought back in the day. Mike Ina floors him in the first round, right? Thomas Denny. Thomas Denny put it on him for three and a half minutes of that first round. Almost beat him in the first round. Like, what the hell is going on here? BJ Penn, right? Remember when he lifts BJ's face at the end of the fight? You can't even recognize Diaz. And that was a walk-in-the-park fight for him. The problem is, is when you stand in that close of range with your hands low, teeing off with five and six punch combinations, rip into the body, you're always going to leave yourself open. And at some point, he just got tired of getting hit. He got tired of getting hurt. He got tired of being the guy that bleeds every fight. And so he enjoys his money. He enjoys his retirement. And he parties with his buddies. And if you've seen him, I'm sure you have on Instagram and social media, 
you know, he's just, he's a party animal. He's done no professional training at a high level. You know, he's been training with guys. He's been training with Nate. Even then, he hasn't really been training with Nate. Nate's been putting in his own camps because Nick's off. Now, five years ago, he takes a fight with Anderson Silva to give him a half million dollars flat. And that was enough for him to run away for another five, six years. I don't, you ever seen, uh, is it the movie Knocked Up with uh, Seth, Seth Rogen? Seth Rogen, yep. Yeah, he's like, oh, I got a lawsuit back in the day. I got $15,000. She's like, you've been living on $15,000 for the last 10 years? He's like, I eat a lot of spaghetti. That's probably Nick Diaz. Like, you know, he made a half million. It was like, cool, you know, I'm just going to chill on this. That interview now suggests it's like, well, I got to get paid, you know, and my sponsors want me to fight and my friends want me to fight. And I'm not saying fighting is all he's good for, but Nick Diaz is not going to drive a forklift in a factory, right? Nick Diaz is not going to write a book. Nick Diaz is not going to go and give uh, public speeches on drug awareness. Like, he's just, there's, there's, I'm, and I'm, I'm not trying to disrespect this guy in the slightest bit and say there's not other things he could do. There's a zillion things he could do, right? But there's nothing in this world that Nick Diaz can do that's going to pay half a million dollars for 30 minutes of work. So he realizes, just like everybody else, I got bills to pay. He's 38 years old. He's coming back. And all of that just doesn't make it spirited. All that doesn't cast a whole lot of confidence in him. But you nailed it, man. He's got a lot more volume than Robbie. And volume should allow him to take over in the rounds in four and five. The fact that this is booked as a five-round fight would suggest that that should be an advantage toward Nick Diaz, but I just have so much conflicting thoughts either side. Like everyone keeps saying, well, Ro Robbie doesn't throw enough, dude. Look at Robbie now. Robbie never throws now. But I, it, Robbie's last fight is Neil Magny. So if I throw, he's going to take me down. So you get real hesitant. Then before that, you fight Colby Covington. Well, you know what? If I let my hands go and I throw, I'm going to get taken down. So you get a little hesitant. Before that, he takes on Ben Askren. Before that, he takes on Rafael Dos Anjos. Before, two fights before that, Tyron Woodley. Not that that one had any wrestling in it. He's taken a lot of these guys where if I let my hands go, I'm going to get taken down. Nick Diaz ain't not taking down Robbie Lawler. In fact, Robbie could go out there and take Diaz down. I just don't know that Robbie's looking to entertain the crowd, and he realizes shooting a takedown on Nick Diaz is a last-case situation. He's looking to meet him in the, in the middle of the cage and go will for will. And if that's the case, hey, it's hard to break Nick Diaz. It's hard to break Nick Diaz. It's hard to break these guys. So listen, I thought it was lined right as a 50-50 fight, and then the clip came out, and then the interview came out, and now you're seeing it swell out towards Robbie Lawler at minus 150. And I'm not saying all of a sudden I'm willing to take a shot on Nick Diaz, but it's like I'm not as confident. I Nothing more. I didn't get any more confident from seeing that stuff. Like you said, that's kind of who he is. That's fair. That's kind of who he is. I didn't gain any confidence from there. It's that at 185, him knowing he couldn't make the weight, I'll leave you with this, and we can move on. The official pick for me as of right now is going to be Robbie Lawler, Robbie Lawler by decision. The over three and a half in specific is what I'm looking for. That could change. I want to see who ends. But I will leave you, sorry, over two and a half is at minus 225. Not great, but I think it's going over two and a half. I'll leave you with one thing. Nick Diaz comes out here and looks great and beats Robbie Lawler. He may be the smartest man in mixed martial arts because it could all be mental warfare. The clip, hey, I'll just throw it some dinky shots that look bad. The interview, classic Nick Diaz interview, where it's like, you know, just the whole thing was just not comical. It was sad, but it was also like, have you ever seen a Nick Diaz interview where he didn't sound pretty much just like that? Just and last but not least, I'm one of these guys. Everyone's thinking like, dude, he can't even make 170. He's out of shape. He may have lured to get this fight at 85, which better suits him, right? He's bigger than Robbie Lawler. He, you know, the extra weight would probably help him out. I don't know. No. Is Nick Diaz a crazy madman? Is he a mad genius? I'd like to say no. 
But uh, this is the sport of MMA, the greatest sport in the world for a very specific reason. Anything can happen, and that's what makes it thrilling. But yeah, I got I got to go. I got to go with uh, Robbie Lawler at the over two and a half. Uh, maybe have a stab at that Robbie Lawler by decision until I see the scales, until I see anything that's overly going to change my mind and give me, unless I get a much better price on Diaz. And the way money's coming in, who knows? But I got to go with Robbie. And of course, again, you know, everybody wins in this fight because it should be entertaining regardless of what happens. Yeah, this, this is the one fight I'm going to keep out of all my DGen parlays. I, I don't, I want no financial stake in this fight. I want to sit back, watch this fight, baked out of my mind, and know that I have no money on this fight because I just want to enjoy it pretty much. I will say this last thing about this fight, actually, uh, I found it interesting that Robbie Lawler, when he fought Neil Magny, he was the one that initially init uh, engaged in the in the clinch and the takedown, which is when Neil Magny quickly turned around and he's like, no. Motherfucker, this is my realm. <laughs> and then Rob Lowe was like, oh shit, maybe I didn't. I shouldn't have shot the takedown here. So I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised to see him shoot a takedown here against Nick Diaz because that's, even though Nick Diaz, really good BJJ artist, usually gets st stuck on his back and isn't really proficient in getting submissions off of his back, at least not in recent years. Unless he goes out there high as shit and is able to pull off a Google plot or some shit on Robbie Love. I, I mentioned that to Paul actually yesterday. I was like, listen, as good of a guard player as he is off his back, he's never been a good guard player in the UFC. He was good in like no. Japan because in Japan yeah. you can't elbow. So you, you have to punch. And um, think about the mechanics, right? An elbow is a short shot. The punch, you have to lift it up. When you lift it up, that's when he starts attacking arms. That's when he starts looking for the triangle. And I told Paul, I was like, do you really think in 2021 he's going to go out there and go Gaplata, man? No, probably not. So it would be an advantage for, for Robbie on top. And then in the last six years since you've seen Diaz, the only thing you've seen is him on Instagram, high as shit, drunk as shit, fucking around with nunchucks, or, yeah. or, or like slap boxing guys at his poolside. He's always poolside, this guy, right? Him and Martin Sano always fucking grappling poolside. <laughs> yeah, all the, they're always poolside, these guys. <laughs> Meanwhile, Robbie Lawler, the last five, six years, has been looking deezed up. Even though the results aren't showing for themselves, he's been fighting nothing short of top 10 competition. And um, he was one of the, he left ATT, which you would always say, hey, that's a mistake. But he was one of the few guys that got on with Sanford right off the hop. And he's kind of like the, uh, the veteran in the room. You know, they use him for some coaching obligations. He's been doing a little corner work. And beyond that, he's just like that savvy veteran old dog in the room. But he's getting rounds with top guys on a day-to-day -day basis. And Nick Diaz has been grappling with Sano. Robbie's been grappling with Gilbert Burns. Um, well, Diaz was poolside. Robbie was on a mat. So I think Lawler has the advantage there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. All that causes me to say I got to have Lawler. But if you were ever going to get a plus money and the other guy's name is Diaz, and you know, I shouldn't say there's a lot of bad Diaz's out there. It's specifically this breed of Diaz. <laughs> yeah, why not Why not take the plus money shot? But of course, of course, when you have Nate Diaz this close to knocking out Leon Edwards, and it's like a video game. It's like, Dish, hit A, finish this fight. Dish, hit B. Stockton, motherfucker, what? <laughs> and it's like, don't hit B, for the love of God. Yeah, yeah. he does. And he does. So you see Nick, the last time we've seen Nick in the octagon, he's lying down. <laughs> like, do you really trust this guy to fight for your dollar? Maybe not. But like you said, enjoy it. Enjoy it from yeah. a, a fan perspective. It's going to be fun.
it is fitting that we end this breakdown with 209 live viewers. So shout out to you guys. We are moving on to the next fight, which is the co-main event and a flyweight women's scrap uh, for the title. Obviously, Valentina, the GOAT, Shevchenko, going up against Lauren Murphy, who is 5-0 in her last fight, or last five fights. Um, in terms of odds, obviously, minus 1,300 for Valentina Shevchenko, plus 850 is a return on Lauren Murphy here. Now, just like last week when I was breaking down the Sarukian fight, it's always like, okay, we know who's going to win, but how are they going to win let's see if we can extract any value from this fight and i feel like the over in this fight is the way to go i know a lot of people are seeing shevchenko going out there and just absolutely mauling some of these women on the ground lauren murphy probably a little bit stronger than the women that uh uh valentina has been going up against over the last couple fights i do think that she'll be able to survive the early onslaught especially if it's a grapple heavy attack but i do think that we'll see shevchenko start to wear on murphy and then eventually get a finish later in this fight but i do like the over two and a half uh, which I think was roughly around even money. Um, Murphy, you know, her striking has definitely gotten better since she's moved down to to Texas and work with, I think the guy's name is Crew Bob Perez or Eric Perez, wherever the guy's name is, the guy who trains Derek Lewis as well. And her striking has definitely gotten a little bit better. But, um, you know, Valentina Shevchenko is just a completely different level. I don't think that she's going to be able to hang with that type of striking or that type of expertise coming from the GOAT Shevchenko here. Um, there there could be early success for Murphy in terms of landing a takedown. Obviously, we saw Shevchenko get stuck on her back against uh, Jennifer Maya a couple of fights ago, and that was probably one of the more hilarious ones where you see you know live odds going into round two, minus 2,000 for Shevchenko, and then she loses that second round because she got taken down, and then live odds going into round three is minus 300 from Shevchenko. Probably the best value value you'll ever get on Shevchenko unless she's fighting somebody named Amanda Nunes. Now, I'm expecting the same thing here. If you could get minus 300 on the live line of Shevchenko, if Murphy is successful with a grapple heavy approach early here, I don't think she's going to be able to keep that up. Proof, the Joanne Calderwood fight for Lauren Murphy, where she has success in that second round, but she's trying to chase it again in the third round, doesn't have the gas nor the energy to secure those takedowns and gets pieced up. I'll say this. I thought Joanne Calderwood won that fight. I thought she won round one and three pretty decisively, but the judges fuck it up and Lauren Murphy gets her hand raised and in steps Lauren Murphy for a title shot in this situation. But I'll give it to her. She's kind of durable. I think it'll hold up for at least three rounds here. Uh, I like the over two and a half, like I said, around even money, but I do think that we'll see Shevchenko get a finish probably in the fourth or fifth round of this fight. Again, you guys know I love me some round props. Shevchenko round four plus 1150. Shevchenko round five plus 17. 50. Cody, how do you like this one? Yeah, well, there's no meat on the bone, right? Valentina Shevchenko, yeah. she's the best. She should win, this and that. I totally get it. Keep in mind, Lauren Murphy, uh, this is the top 10. At least this is kind of like the consensus top 10. I don't know what the USC considered is. Jessica I, who wished Lauren Murphy never had to fight. Alexa Grosso, whom she didn't have to fight. Vivian Arroyo, whom she didn't have to fight. Cynthia Calvillo, whom she didn't have to fight. Joanne Calderwood, who she got a split decision over. And then Jennifer Maya, who she didn't have to fight, Jessica Andrade, who she didn't have to fight, and Caitlin Jukagian, who she didn't have to fight. She's actually got a win over one girl in the top 10. The rest of her win streak is Roxanne Monteferi, Andrea Lee, Mara Barella, and Lillian Shakarova. So should she be getting a title fight? No. She just happens to be on a winning streak. They need someone to get tossed in there. So Laura Murphy's that girl. Now, looking at her pro losses, she's never been finished. All of her losses are by decision. <clears throat> she's got a loss on the contender series as well, an exhibition fight again by decision. You know, I'm sure she's durable. Uh, she's always gritty. She's aggressive. She'll, she's willing to fight. She's willing to mix it up. But she's going to be at a big skill discrepancy in every aspect of mixed martial arts. Stay standing. She's going to be the slower fighter. She's not going to have uh, that clean precision. And she should get boxed up. The kicking advantage is also to Shevchenko. The wrestling is Shevchenko. The grappling is Shevchenko. The cardio is Shevchenko. 
the experience of Shevchenko. Everything goes towards Valentina. But again, we got to figure out a way to attack this one. And Sarukian, I ended up going with that Sarukian inside the distance, and it was plus 160. You're right. You got to figure out the best advantage you can to try to get some plus money on this. The two ways I look at attacking at this one uh, specifically is Shevchenko Murphy over two and a half for starters, right? Murphy's durable. We just outlined it. She's never been knocked out. She's never been submitted. In fact, in the UFC, she's never even been knocked down. She does seem to be fairly durable. And with Shevchenko, she's not a fast starter. Not a fast starter because she doesn't want to be one, but because she, ring IQ is just so high. She's not going to take unnecessary risks. She's not going to put herself in a bad spot. And she's not going to overrush anything. So a lot of the times, she'll take this fight to the second round or the third round, eventually get you down, eventually crucify you, eventually put you away. Of course, she could knock you out just like she did Jessica with a big head kick, <clears throat> but she'll take her time. And I think if she does st stop Lauren Murphy, it's going to be after that two and a half. So the over two and a half, minus 120, I'm in on that. And then beyond that, five rounds is a long time to be trapped in there with Valentina Shevchenko. So on one hand, as I mentioned, Lauren Murphy never been finished. On the other hand, Lauren Murphy not fought anybody like Valentina. And to that extent, Lauren Murphy, this current win streak, her, her entire UFC run, no wins over one win over a girl in the top 10 and was called to win. And it was a split decision. And it was close. Her fight with Andrea Lee in Texas. Did she win that one? It was very close. These, these, that's, that's not going to get you all antsy to go and bet her against someone of the caliber of Val. So I have the over two and a half, but I don't have this fight going the distance. I went with Shevchenko by TKO, not submission, TKO minus 120. So I have two minus 120 bets. One's the over two and a half. The other one's Shevchenko inside the distance, hoping that one comes around you know, around late in round three, maybe round four. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to get a little bit iffy once we reach round three and we see Shevchenko really start to open up and just holding our holding ourselves, hoping that it gets over the two and a half round or a minute mark. Um, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with everything you just said with uh, Shevchenko here. All right, main event time. And another time for me to remind you guys, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then go over there and uh, subscribe to uh, Cody's YouTube channel, which is linked in the description below as well. So make sure you guys go out there and show him some love. All right, main event time. We got the featherweight strap on the line here. Alexander Volkanovsky, I believe, going out there and uh, defending his title for the second time, if I'm not mistaken. He's going up against uh, Brian Ortega here. In terms of odds, we're looking around minus 170 for Volkanovski, plus 150 is the return on Brian Ortega. Now, Ortega obviously coming back after a lengthy layoff after he got absolutely butchered by Max Holloway, comes back and beats Korean Zombie last time around in a performance where a lot of people might be putting a little bit too much stock into it. You know, he, he rocked him nice in that second round with that beautiful spinning elbow, and I just don't believe we saw the same Korean Zombie after that. You could even see it going into the third round where you see Zombie like stretching out his jaw a lot more than you see a fighter ever doing. I think he was a little bit shaken up after that, and he might have, you know, not been fighting at full capacity uh, or or all systems go after uh, round two there. And I do think that we saw, you know, uh, Ortega really start to take over after that mark. I will say this though. We did see a, a renewed confidence in Brian Ortega and his striking, right? Like, it, it didn't look like he was trying to desperation takedown or anything like that. We saw him stick the jab out there, stick the one-two, use his elbow, something that he likes to do a lot, even before the Max Holloway fight. Um, but that that must have given him tremendous confidence to be able to go out there and do that to, to somebody like Korean Zombie. In steps Volkanovski, though, who I think is just a master game planner, a master at executing those perfect game plans. I think they're going to have to uh, put together a pretty solid game plan here to deal with the jiu-jitsu advantage that Ortega will have and obviously the renewed confidence that he's going to have in his striking. However, I think that confidence will be quickly diminished after Volkanovski starts getting his game going. I will say this. 
Ortega bringing in a southpaw, uh, a stance here, which might uh, kind of mess up a little bit with Volkanovski's plans in terms of using his kicks as effectively as he does. But you got to believe that they're going to be ready to go to deal with that southpaw approach that Ortega is going to have here. The feints of Volkanovski, the misdirections, the mixing up the leg kicks and the body shots and all that, it's just so masterful and awesome to watch as somebody who admires the skills of MMA. And I think that Volkanovski continues to get better, like I said, on a fight-to-fight basis. And I think that this fight here against Ortega, he has him completely beaten on pretty much every skill other than jiu-jitsu. But how are you going to be able to implement that jiu-jitsu when you're not able to get a guy like Volkanovski to the ground? And I'd be very surprised surprise if Ortega can successfully ground Volkanovski and have tremendous success from on top. Yeah, Ortega is this mythical beast when it comes to jiu-jitsu, but like he had Korean Zombie in some pretty compromising positions on the ground. Couldn't lock up a submission and, and against a guy who seemed like he was completely out of it. And Volkanovski, I truly believe he has really good takedown defense and good submission defense that I don't think it's going to be much of an issue. Now, if you're talking about strictly striking battle, I think Volkanovski goes out there and just touches him up, man. I think he he lands over 100 significant strikes. I think he puts it on Ortega. Uh, I, I don't see him finishing Ortega. We got to give that to Brian. He's very durable. Even like early in his UFC career, if you guys remember, he was always like the comeback kid. He was always getting fucked up for the first like two rounds. And then the third round, he pulls out a win out of his ass. I'd be surprised if he do, does that against a guy like uh, Volkanovski, who, who I believe, you know, is right there with Max Holloway as one of the best featherweights of all time. Say what you want about him losing the last fight against Max Holloway. That has no bearing on how this fight against Ortega is going to go. Yeah, sure, he was competitive against a guy like Max Holloway. That should let you know how good this fucking guy is. So I like, uh, I really like Volkanovski here. I think the minus 170 line is very generous as well. I think people are a little bit too much uh, eating, uh, you know, uh, uh, blinded by the performance that Ortega had last time around, which was very successful. Don't get me wrong, but this is a completely different opponent that you're taking on in uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. So I like Volkanovsky, and like I said, I'll give Ortega some credit in terms of his durability. So I'll go with Volkanovsky via decision, which is currently sitting at plus 150. I like that line. I really, really like that line because I think that's his best way to get this fight done. So I'm going Volkanovsky, Volkanovsky via decision. How are you seeing this one go down? I got it the same way, but with Brian Ortega, I'm not looking at it like, oh, we're just wowed by one performance. I think that it's all just a continuation of his progress as a martial arts. I think he's just generally getting a lot better. You got to go back to the Frank Yeager fight, where prior to that, you're 100% right. He's down two rounds against Tiago Tavares, third round comeback. Down two rounds against Diego Brandao, third round comeback. I thought he was down two rounds against Clay Guida. He thinks it was 1-1. Regardless, third round comeback. The Hanato Moicano fight, he definitely loses the first two rounds. How do you, four fights in a row? Third round comebacks. Crazy. <laughs> but the Frankie Edgar fight, it was just like, oh, well, you know, Frankie's going to have him outgunned here. He's a better striker. He's a better wrestler. And they did these packs with him beforehand. He was talking to his boxing coach. And he was basically like, my coach told me, if I want to get better at boxing, I need to drop all my friends. I need to drop everything I'm doing. I need to basically leave everything and only box if I want to get better with my boxing. He comes out there and he's the first guy to ever knock out Frankie Edgar. So, you saw right there, it's like, oh, he's spending a lot of time working on his striking. Now he fights Max Holloway, who puts on a GOAT performance, and you're right. You saw, oh, shit, I thought he was just a jiu-jitsu guy. But he's striking with one of the best strikers in the division and getting his ass kicked. But you do see, still see some improvements. So when he took on Korean Zombie, and again, people were saying, wow, he's not a good striker, Korean Zombie's this and that. It was just another continuation. He looked that good because it's the progress that he's been making, he's been putting in. So I can't pretend I love the Ultimate Fighter anymore. It's just it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't uh I yeah it doesn't tried. get 
it doesn't pique my interest anymore. I did have to obviously go back and watch the fights because we had to break down a, a finale card, but the exchanges didn't really didn't really pay much attention. However, what I kept reading is that they had to shoot the show in an odd way this year because Ortega just would no show the training session. He wasn't coming for his team. They said he was a bad coach. It was just like this guy's not even here half the time. He just had a training staff of guys. He'd come in and be like, "Yeah, you train with them," and he barely show up. And then online, people would be like, "He's a shitty guy, man. He's a shitty coach, and you know he's not here for his team, and that's a shitty attitude." What I perceived that was, he's working on himself. He's not there to get famous. He's not there to shoot a reality show. He's not there to coach these young five and one fighters. Brady Hanstad, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna invest my time in him. He's gonna become a great fighter on his own down the road. What is Brian Ortega gonna do for this kid in a six week time frame? He's working on himself. He spent. He's he's becoming a recluse and working on his skills. And I don't doubt that we see the best version of Brian Ortega come Saturday night. It's just, yeah, yeah, I'm on, I'm on your page with the fact that where does Volkanovski do incorrect, you know? His wrestling's top-notch. His, uh, well, I'm, I don't know how good his jiu-jitsu is, but realistically, what are you going to do? Take him down and use your jiu-jitsu on him? His submission defense seems okay. His striking's on par. Volume, it's there. And, and whereas Brian Ortega looked like he had heart against Max Holloway, Volkanovski legitimately beat him twice. So when you talk about these levels to this, Volkanovski seems to cap out at every level. You want to talk about Dragon Ball Z Budokan, right? Where what stat line do we drop on this guy? He's he's full power everywhere. He's just he's a great playable character, and I think that he's able to go out there, use his wrestling to keep the fight standing, and just the kicks. You make an excellent point. I mean, Brian Ortega is a switch stance striker. He could come out in a southpaw stance that could throw off Volkanovski a little bit. Here, the one thing about switch stance guys, especially guys that are not natural southpaws that switch, is that they're always less defensively sound in that. Because you spend so much time working in one stance, when you switch, it's not quite the same mechanics. And I think that'll be Volkanovski's opportunity to land with the punches. Land with the punches, back him up, cause him to reset. As soon as he resets, kick him. If it's late in the round, there's not all that much time, you think it's relatively close, shoot the takedown. Shoot the takedown. I don't think he guillotines you in 30 seconds. Don't leave your neck hanging for him, first of all. But mix in a takedown or two to solidify these rounds. He should be able to just continuously use that volume and and, and secure the victory. But uh, I'm big on Ortega and what he brings to the table. And again, you, when you look at a pay per view, so many good fights. I want money on Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler. But is that the smart choice? I don't know. This is another one. You know, you want main event action. And in fact, we're going to talk about our top three plays in a bit. Spoiler alert, Volkanovski by decision at plus 125. And I think you can get a better price. It all depends on your book. You got a good book, you can get better prices on this stuff. I just kind of put it an average for you because I don't want you to be in like, Saftik made up a line, didn't exist. It's like, well, <laughs> at worst, you can get it at plus 125. That's a goddamn fact. But it's like, is, is, is there better spots in this card? Is there more comfortable spots in this card? Maybe, potentially. But uh, I told Paul, I'm very few idiots out there. I, I have a claim to fame. It's not a good claim to fame. People say I'm a great predictor and I put in the work and I'm the goat and all these things. And I appreciate all that. But even somebody has a couple of bad spots. And I will let you know my two bad spots. I'm the bozo that took Justin Gaethje over Khabib Nurmagomedov. What? Because I thought the leg kicks and the five rounds and Khabib's dad had just passed away. That's got to mess you up. Turns out it motivated him. It's motivated Khabib, scary thing. But it was like, I thought Gaethje had a chance in the leg kicks. And what I was really doing is I was looking away from the greatness. I was just, I didn't want to accept it. You know, Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa. I just didn't want to accept it. I took Paulo Costa. Last but not least, traitor to my own country, right? 
I uh, I thought Michael Bisping would beat George St. Pierre. Why? Because oh. he's a middleweight. I'm gonna Landry. I'm gonna just toss you this he's off so right much now. Big. Cody's gone, guys. No, I'm talking. <laughs> no, I know. And and so and so it's like I was telling Paul. I was like, what it's come down to is uh, you sometimes you question greatness. You don't want to believe it. You're always looking like that. What if? In George's case, he hadn't fought in four years. He's moving up a weight class. You know, that that all seems like bad news. In Khabib's case, you know, he'd been on this long undefeated run. How motivated is he? His father just passed away. Justin Gaethje presents a little legitimate threat. In the Paulo Costa versus Israel Adesanya's case, I mean, Kelvin Gastelum was in a 2-2 versus Izzy going into the fifth. Kelvin Gastelum head kicked him. Come on. <laughs> you, you take those little moments and then you stretch them into this belief that this guy that's just otherwise looks so fucking good is going to lose. And with Volkanovski, that's what I'm doing here. I'm looking, well, you know what? The first two rounds against Max Holloway, he was getting beat from the outside. And Holloway was a sharper guy and he was... Ortega, even though he's got two inch, uh, two inches less in the reach, so did Holloway. Use a jab, stick it from the outside, get him to overcommit, land with the elbow. If he wants to shoot takedown, great. You've got much better jiu-jitsu. You can snag on. All I'm doing is I'm just creating that same. Volkanovski's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. Okay, he's a fine champion, as well-rounded as well-rounded comes. Until he loses. I can't jump off him. And so, lesson learned. And then if for whatever reason we wake up on Sunday morning, you wake up on Sunday morning, you see that Alexander Volkanovsky gets submitted with a guillotine halfway through the third. I cursed the motherfucker. I cursed him, you know? I killed a goat accidentally. Did not mean to. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have to side with greatness on this one and go Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky by decision, plus 125. The over three and a half at plus or minus 180. I love it. I love it. I, again, I think we, we might be overthinking her a little bit too much, but Volkanovski should be able to come out and, and do what Volkanovski does, especially against a guy like Brian Ortega. All right. Favorite part of the show for most people. We're going to start doing the uh, the three best bets. Let me just share the screen here real quick. Uh, I do have John's three best bets as well, so I'll be sharing that as well. Um, there we go. I'll kick things off as normal here as soon as I can pop this up. All right. First three bets uh, for myself. First and foremost, I like Turner versus Medic. Does not go to decision. Minus 160. Again, depends on the book that you have. You can get it between minus 160 and minus 200. Pretty simple. I think either Medic gets him out early or Turner will start to uh, wear on him with grappling and then find a submission. Again, plus 800 on Turner by submission. I think it's worth a little bit of a stab there. Next up, I like Hooker and Hackbreast under two and a half, plus 110. If you want to be a little bit safer and take the fight, doesn't go to decision around minus 125. I like that too. Concerning all the out of cage factors as well with these guys, I feel like it more so uh, helps out with the, uh, the the fight doesn't go to decision. Like I said, I think one of these guys is going to find the finish. I believe Dan Hooker is damaged goods at this point in time and think Hackbreast can put him out. And on the other side as well, I think that Hooker is very... Very good, technically speaking. And if he can keep his chin off the center line here, he should be able to put together a pretty good performance against Hackbrast and eventually possibly knock him out with some uh, with some uh, a variety of combinations. And then lastly, I like Volkanovski by decision as well. Uh, plus 150 on that. Again, between plus 125, plus 150, depending on the book that you're looking at. But I love the line on Volkanovski here. We just broke it down for you guys. So I don't need to go into it any further. I think he picks apart Ortega, stays away from the jujitsu, and then uh, takes home a decision victory. Now for Mr. John, I'll quickly go over his before I go to uh, Cody's. Uh, he likes the Marab via KO slash the decision that's that double chance again not a lot of books have those types of props but if you have access to it i do really like that line myself as well at minus 135 uh so make sure you guys take a look at that secondly 
Calvillo versus Andrade goes to decision, minus 125. I like that as well. I think both girls are durable enough, and I think people might be overstating the finishing ability of Andrade and the lack of durability from Calvillo, but uh, I do think that we'll see uh, both people hold up in terms of their chin and their durability, and we should see the judges' scorecards here no matter who ends up winning that fight, but minus 135 for that is very good. And then lastly, Blades Inside the Distance. I've pretty much broken it down the same way that John probably would have. He'll probably ground this fight, and I don't think that Jairzinho will have much success in terms of nullifying the damage coming down at him, uh, nor do I think he'll be able to get back to his feet. And I'm sure John shares those same sentiments. All right, Cody, you're up next here, my brother. Shout out to John West in the comments section reminding me I took Calvin Cater over Max Holloway. What the hell? I took him too. I took him too. Don't worry. I was right there. Yeah, because again, you thought, geez, maybe Max Shophorn. And the only reason we thought maybe Max is Shophorn is because Alexander Volkanovsky made him look Shophorn. And that's impressive. So I'm going to go Volkanovsky by decision, plus 150. It's a better line than the plus 125. Again, shop around if you can. But uh, for plus, plus money, main event, you can always hedge out if you get that far. Don't mind it. Moving on, we're going to go with Valentina Shevchenko Murphy, the over two and a half minus 120. I think Murphy's durable enough that she's going to be able to bank some time in there. You can also, if you're not in on this, you like that Shevchenko inside the distance. It's the same price. I just think she's going to take a few rounds to get going and then eventually put her away. Yes, she's got the advantage everywhere it takes place. But for Laura Murphy, this is her Super Bowl, right? She's 38 years old. It's a world title fight in front of a huge crowd in the T-Mobile Arena. Co-main event under uh, a, a big title fight. You're, you're actually coming out after Nate D or Nick Diaz versus Rob Bell. This is a huge spot. She's going to come out and fight like this is her last opportunity to make something, you know, or at least make that big dollar. And I think that heart, that perseverance, she's never been finished before, at least last her two and a half rounds. And then I would see her crumpling beyond that. But we're going to go with the over two and a half minus 120. And then finally, bringing it home with a Taylor Santos by decision, which was minus 150 with Roxanne Modafferi. Again, she hasn't been finished in a decade she's got great durability she's struggling to get opponents to the ground that have good takedown defense and of course roxanne's not going to beat anybody in a 15 minute long striking battle we saw that against vivian arroyo and i do think that taylor santos be very similar use a sprawl and brawl technique keep this fight standing land the leg kicks land the jab land the right hand keep it standing win the striking exchanges coast towards the decision at minus 150 that's where i'm going to go with that and there you guys go. Nine best bets from all of us. A couple of them overlapping, but I told uh, John at the last uh, podcast that we did, I'm done trying to make my own. Like I, there are some that I'm going to have overlap with you guys, considering that we have to give out nine prop bets. Uh, but uh, it seems like a lot of us like that Volkanovsky via uh, decision prop here. All right, that's a wrap on the show, Cody. It was great to have you back on. It's going to be another month now until we actually get you back onto the show. Uh, but it will actually be back-to-back -back weeks. UFC 267, October 30th. UFC 268, November 6th. So back-to-back -back weekends of pay-per-views for the UFC. So uh, you won't be seeing Saftik for at least a month now. But at least you guys will get him back-to-back -back weeks uh, for at the end of October and beginning of November. Anything you want to say on the way out here, Cody, before I wrap it up? Did we lose his audio? Seems like we lost his audio. There's a potential that we lost his audio. I can't hear you either. This could potentially be... Can you guys hear Cody? Can you hear me? Okay, so it's Cody that you guys can't hear. 
Okay. Cody, Cody, your <laughs> your audio is messed up, it seems like. It seems like your audio is messed up. I'm not sure if you can see. I was sending him a private message. Cody's going to have to fix his. I thought it was mine for a second because it seemed like uh, it seemed like uh, Alfred, who's sitting in here with me, uh, was messing with my mixer there. So it is Cody. There we go. <laughs> he was really putting together a heartfelt uh, outro there for you guys. Hopefully we can get him. <laughs> Hopefully we can get Cody's audio back to work here so we can get him out on the back end. All right. I guess he's not going to say anything on the back end here. Um, I guess I'll wrap up the show. I'll wrap up the show here. Uh, Cody, as always, thank you for coming on. Um, <laughs> I love I love how the chat is just going on uh, off here. Either way, I'm sure Cody has said what he needed to say, but we will see Cody, like I said, next month, back-to-back -back weekends for 267 and 268. Appreciate you guys joining the show as always. If you guys haven't already, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then obviously show Cody some love in the uh, description below. We have the link to his YouTube channel, so make sure you guys go over there and subscribe to that as well. I'm sure Cody is saying goodbye. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, we'll see you guys next week. Me and John will be right back at it next week, next Thursday, 8 PM Eastern. We'll be breaking down the Santos and Walker card for you guys. Good luck on your bets tomorrow night. I'll be back for the ultimate win show. Still need to confirm the guest because my last, my, my, my guest just dropped out on me, but I promise I'll bring you, you guys a heater so we can break down 266 one last time. All right. Good luck on your bets. And I'll see you guys tomorrow night. Peace out.